0: The
1: hammer on the anvil smote, and she's a cloak and green baroque.
2: Good morning, listeners. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Riddles in the Dark, brought to you by the Mythgard Institute, the Tolkien Professor, and Middle Earth Network Radio. We're here live in the Mythgard Institute's NetMoot interface with a bunch of our awesome listeners to talk about Radagast the Brown today, Um, one of the most interesting uh, topics from the film, since there's... Uh, seems to be a lot of new material that Peter Jackson and company are adding and a lot of innovation. And uh, he seems pretty plugged into the uh, the Parallel White Council necromancer storyline, so we're really excited to talk about it. We're also going to delve into controversy today by talking about the infamous Hobbit app that was released late last week and the possibility that they're actually changing the ending of the first film I'm not convinced, but I'll be curious to hear what my cohorts have to say. That's right, I use the word cohorts because I am joined not only by the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson, but also by my digest partner, uh, Trish Lambert. Good morning. Good morning.
1: Good morning. That's right. So yeah, we do hope to cover the two things today. Um, we're going to. We we wanted to talk about Radigast because you know it, it is a very interesting question. Certainly one of the things which uh, has uh, well, let's say a lot of room for expansion from <laughs> from the material we get from the books. Uh, and obviously, there's been a lot of press about this as well, since uh, you know everybody loves Sylvester McCoy, and so there's been a lot of uh, talk about his role. And he was probably I, apart from the whole nazgul thing which is what we focused on in the reports from cinemacon the footage that we shown at cinemacon so the whole the, the the idea that like the Nazgul are apparently going to be players in this film in some way was sort of sufficiently shocking to us that that's what we really fixated on at the time but of course in many ways the um based upon all the reports the appearance of radagast in those uh sections was the was the real sort of you know showstopper moment in some ways. Um, That was something that everyone was commenting on. And we didn't even talk about it too much at the time, so we're coming back to Radigast today. I personally think the showstopper, the giant bunnies... Well, that, exactly. I should say uh, Radagast and his associates, perhaps, uh, were the real, whether it be the the, the the bunnies. And by the way, I'm not even, do we have evidence? I mean, I you know, this is really hard because we're all based on, like this is all based on secondhand accounts of that footage, uh, that they are giant bunnies? I, 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 that I wasn't sure. I, I, I knew that he was pulled on a chariot or sled or something pulled by bunnies. But are they indeed giant bunnies, or, or just a large number of regular bunnies? <laughs> that I acts... think they're giant bunnies. Yeah, giant bunnies. Okay. Yeah,
2: i just for good measure. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google this, uh, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure there are confirmed sightings
1: of 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 of, of, of legitimately giant bunnies.
0: Yes. Now I actually saw on somebody 's post I think it was on the one ring that somebody said they weren 't bunnies they were hedgehogs, so now we 've got that question as well hedgehogs how could you be yeah. hedgehogs for bunnies for bunnies i don 't know i mean that's that's
2: very- oh wait wait here we go quick beams one ring uh one ring report i guess from um back in April for the 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 cinemacon thing he says yeah. Uh, the only other shot of Radagast was him flying by in a sled. Radagast has a sled that runs on the forest floor, drawn by larger-than-life-but-not-giant gray jack rabbits.
1: Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so middle ground, therefore. Larger-than-life-but-not-giant. Yes. Okay. <laughs> abnormally abnormally large, but <laughs> abnormally not pretty <particularly> right. large. <laughs> rabbits of unusual Bunny- size, right? Yeah. Bunnies yeah, on okay. steroids, right? Yeah. Okay. Rabbits of unusual size. Okay. So, well, that's... Uh, all right. Interesting. Um, Pete in the Pete in the the net moot confirms he says he got yeah. from
0: Cliff
2: Broadway. Oh, that's Quick Beam, isn't it? Yeah. They're not they're really big, just bigger than normal bunnies, but not not like, you know, what, what was that what was that um, the movie with the imaginary giant rabbit friend? <laughs> Harvey. <laughs> Harvey, Harvey, yeah.
0: Right. yeah. It's not, Did you it's never not, see that, Corey? Oh, that's a I, great movie. No,
1: I missed that one. <laughs> I missed oh, you'd like one. it. Um, but uh, Well, no, I mean, actually, see, to me, the number one thing that that suggests is that we're not being invited to imagine that. Because, I mean, if they were truly giant bunnies, I mean, if these were, were bunnies the size of ponies or something like that, then one could imagine that, uh, you know, they could be deployed in battle or something, um, <laughs> which seems not to be the case. Uh, now, I still it is still my the one Radagast expectation that I uh, am not going to let go of, which is that I I fully expect Radagast to show up at the Battle of Dol Guldur like a like like Doctor Doolittle going to war. You know, I mean <laughs> with, like with an army it's of be animals. Be awesome. Yeah. Oh man! It's, yeah, like the attack of Radagast and his animal friends. I cannot wait to see. Um, Do you think he'll be actually, rallying
2: them with a uh, with a Theoden like speech?
1: I, I, you know. Yeah, I'd like to see <laughs> Radagast. Addressing like the ranks of like squirrels and bunnies and hedgehogs and everything, and being like Deaf! and the little uh, yeah, I, I can see it I can see it, but no i mean I, I this 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 i think this i i feel confident is going to happen uh that we 're going to have the, uh, the- <laughs> The attack of Radagast and the animals, and it's going to be awesome. So um, Dan- Daniel does point out that it's, it sounds more like Narnia than Middle Earth if you
0: you know have that happen.
1: Well, see, I mean, yeah, I can see that. Now, the, of course, the main difference is that the animals aren't going to be talking. I assume um, so because again, you know, and that that would be sort of the the point of it would be that to reflect Radagast's greater, you know, relationship with the animals. Right. Um, and that I have to imagine that that aspect of Radagast's character, one of the few prominent facts that we have about Radagast. In fact, I would I, I would put it at number two. The number one fact we have about Radagast is that he wears brown. The number two fact that we have about Radagast <laughs> is that he's a friend of birds and beasts. And like after that, our list of known facts about Radagast is very short. That he dwelt at Ross Goebel. Even that one I would call less rock hard because we don't know when... Like it, Gandalf speaks of it in the present tense in The Hobbit and he speaks of it in the past tense in The Fellowship of the Ring. Right. That he dwelt at Ross Goebel. Goble. Uh, so, For all we know, he's like an like just
2: like an itinerant dude, and he spent the night there once.
1: Right? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Uh, so his association with Ross Goble is is does not even fit into the category of like rock solid things that we know about him. Um, By the way, is that the correct pronunciation, Ross Goble? Ross Goble? Yeah, I would think so. I always
2: I always imagined there was some kind of fancy crazy thing going on with the R H at the beginning.
1: Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's too crazy. Uh, but in fact, it's actually kind of unusual that kind that uh, that spelling is is kind of unusual for Tolkien's names. He actually tended to, tended to try to avoid, especially continental combinations, which would really give his readers trouble. I mean, like you know, he was he he. This is why, for instance, initially he had been thinking of Galadriel's name having the D-H consonant in it, that it would not be Galadriel, but Galadriel, uh, like the Galathrim, that she mm-hmm. that she's ruling over. But in the end he rejected that because, you know, he... Basically, he said that he thought the DH looked uncouth to modern English readers, which doubtless it does, because we don't have that combination in modern English. So he tended to not do that kind of thing very much. So the RH at the beginning of the word is kind of a departure uh, from the way that he sort of spells other things. But again, you see him more willing to do it in small things like that, that is, you know if people can't really pronounce that right, like whatever. It's no major loss. It's only mentioned once in in passing in a speech. It's not you know, a major character's name. Anyway, so yeah, so there's not too much that we know about Radagast. And since I'm on the subject, I might as well like continue with my list of stuff that we know about Radagast, because you could take everything that Tolkien wrote about Radagast, at least in all of the published materials, and put it on about three pages of text. There just is not all that much. So let me just kind of do a quick review of those things. One, the reference in The Hobbit. The reference in The Hobbit is really short. I'll read you the whole thing. It is when Gandalf is meeting Bjorn, uh, and uh, Bjorn says that he's never heard of him. And uh, he's never heard of Gandalf. Uh, And Gandalf says, I am a wizard. I have heard of you if you have not heard of me. But perhaps you have heard of my good cousin Radagast, who lives near the southern borders of Mirkwood. Notice lives in the present tense. Yes, not a bad fellow as wizards go, I believe. I used to see him now now and again, said Bjorn. And there you go. That's the appearance of Radagast in *The Hobbit*, uh, <laughs> as uh, as it appears in the published work. Now, it's easy to see how they can build
2: off of that.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that uh, that that really it's really tantalizing, isn't it? But see, again, this yes. falls squarely into the category of stuff which, once you actually start playing out the story as it is developed later on, Radagast's well, basically, you have to make a choice, I think. If Radagast is not involved, if he's not involved with with Gandalf and Galadriel and, and Saruman and Elrond um, as they're trying to kick the Necromancer out, well, that itself is a big decision. I mean, you, you've made a big choice about Radagast's character if you make him not involved there. And uh, I'll come back to the direction in which that... Choice seems to seems to go, you know, that as Tolkien was thinking about it uh, himself later on. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's like he's there, he's right there in the area. Um, he is described as being right there on the edges of Markwood, living not too far from the necromancer himself. Like if he's not involved, you need an explanation for that. So I mean, it's that seems to me a very natural kind of thing. Of course, obviously, the biggest appearance of Radagast that we ever get—in fact, the only time he is ever seen, uh, you know, uh, the only lines of dialogue we ever get from him or anything—is uh, not even it, directly. It's indirectly in Gandalf's story to the Council of Elrond when he's telling about what happened to him and how he ended up uh, locked up in Orthanc, and that's of course when he meets Radagast the Brown near Bree. Uh, Radagast coming up the Greenway, having been um, sent by Sar with this message uh, and uh, and the things that we know about Radagast from, from here uh, the, I, I'll, I'll sort of read some of the more important moments there um, Radagast is of course, says Gandalf to the council a worthy wizard, a master of shapes and changes of hue and he has much lore of herbs and beasts and birds are especially his friends. That sentence I think, I'm suspecting that that sentence is going to be an an enormously important one that will inform how they're thinking about the films. Um, And I say that actually with more confidence than I would have said it 10 years ago um, or 12 years ago or before the first films came out or even after the films because basically, I mean, I will say and I'll come back to this later on when we talk about The Hobbit app, um, I have been and I continue to be impressed at how much the filmmakers do seem to be paying attention to the stuff that we have. Often it's very little. Um, But when we get a passing... I mean, there's lots of stuff that's supplemented. You know, there's lots of additional imaginative work that they're putting into things uh, to fill out the story. But I have yet found very few things um, in any of the stuff that they've released, very few evidences of them actually disregarding or altering a, a concrete fact that we have, especially like these sort of minor things. I was thinking about this, and I said, we'll come back and talk about this later when we talk about the dwarf descriptions in the app. Um, but I was, I was noticing it then as well. So this kind of a sentence, I actually would, ex- based on what I've seen from them so far, I would expect the filmmakers to take that sentence kind of seriously, and it's interesting. Master of shapes and changes of hue. That does suggest that Radagast is a shapeshifter. And can actually change his own form, in a quasi Biorn-esque way, perhaps, and that he has lore of herbs and beasts, and birds are especially his friends. So he is, you know, he he he. We know that Gandalf himself can converse with animals, uh, and and so obviously Radagast can as well. And Gandalf, who is described, I mean, you remember the words of Frodo's lament to Gandalf that he writes when they're in Lothlorien, you know that he that he uh, can speak. In, he speaks to, to to you know to bird on bough and beast in glen in their own secret tongue. He spoke. He says, and their own s- secret tongues he spoke. So, I mean, Gandalf is famous for being friends with birds and beasts, but by Gandalf's standards, Radagast is is a special friend of the birds and beasts. So clearly that he's going to be uh, that those two things: his closeness to the to the animals and his his being a master of shapes and changes of hue, those are the two things that I would expect that they would, that the filmmakers would kind of take to the bank and work with um, when developing Radagast's character. The only other things that we know, of course, Radagast never comes up again... Okay, that's not true. Uh, there's one very, very small reference when the scouts are going out from Rivendell before the the company leaves, in the chapter, in the next chapter after the Council of Elrond. We're told that Eladon and El- here went. To, that the scouts stopped by Frodo Scobble to see if Radagast was there, and he wasn't. And that's the only thing. The only other thing we ever hear uh, is his absence uh, at that point. Now, the last thing I want to bring up. This is. These are things that. Um, that some people may be less familiar with because they're not in The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit himself, but that is the stuff that we learn about Radagast from the essay on the Astari, the essay on the Wizards, that Tolkien wrote in Unfinished Tales. And here we have two different facts that we learn about Radagast and they are, as Christopher Tolkien himself recognizes in his commentary on this section, well... I will say it more, even more strongly than Christopher Tolkien does, I would call them flatly contradictory, basically. I think they show us Tolkien thinking in two very different directions about Radagast. The one, and this is a, this is a fairly famous one which is often quoted about Radagast, is that uh, um, basically uh, it, this is uh, about how Gandalf of the five wizards, the two blue wizards who go off into the east, Radagast and Saruman and Gandalf of the five wizards, Um, only one remained faithful. That's Gandalf. He's the only one who succeeded. The rest of them failed. And he was the last comer. For Radagast, the fourth, became enamored of the many birds and beasts that dwelt in Middle-earth, and forsook elves and men, and spent his days among the wild creatures. Thus he got his name, which is in the tongue of Numenor of Old, and signifies it is said, tender of beasts. Um, So, Radagast failed, Tolkien says. He, He did not remain faithful. And it, and wh- how like his faith, his lack of faith is described as essentially his kind of going native with the birds and beasts that he stopped doing what he, he stopped doing his job, um, which was to fight against Sauron and to help elves and men, um, as Gandalf is doing. he ceased to do that because he began to focus too much on the birds and beasts he spent his days among the wild creatures instead of helping elves and men now the other reference that i was pointing to which seems potentially or or i mean i think quite likely contradictory to that is in sort of the notes to another narrative, which Tolkien had conceived of, which he didn't fully write, but Christopher Tolkien tells us what his notes were. Um, Tolkien was planning basically a, a council back in Valinor before the Astari came over. So you've got these spirits who are going to become the wizards and, you know, Manway is basically like, okay, uh, can I get some volunteers? Who's willing to go over to Middle-earth and help folks out? Um, and there are only two people, two of the uh two of the of these spirits come forward. One is Kurimo, who is Saruman, and the other is Alatar, who's one of the blue wizards. They're the only two volunteers. Um and then Manway's like, hey, where's a Lauren? I, I want a Lauren So, so like basically Manway is recruiting Gandalf. And Gandalf goes and like Saruman Kurimo, that is, is kind of uh is kind of bitter about that. When they go, when Kurumo and Alatar, the blue wizard, go, they each take a second with them. Alatar takes his friend, uh, Palando, whom he chooses for friendship, as is told. Kurumo, Saruman, however, gets saddled with Radagast against his will. Um, he, he has Radagast foisted on him. Radagast's name in Valinor was Iwendil, um, and Kurumo took Iwendil because Yavanna begged him. We're told, so Iwendil is a spirit who is affiliated with Yavanna, who is the Valar, who is in charge of growing things. She is the one who is the the you know the overseer and the caretaker of plants and animals. Um, and so Radagast is her spirit who is foisted on on uh on Saruman against his will who thinks he's an idiot and this of course seems to be picking up on Saruman's words in uh to Gandalf in the fellowship of the ring when he taught when he shows his contempt uh for Radagast you know calling him Radagast the bird tamer Radagast the fool but again w- what I think is is interesting and and at least potentially contradictory here is that he's a spirit of Yavanna there is no way like he can't possibly have too much love for the the birds and beasts that seems really unlikely to 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 say that his his attention to birds and beasts was excessive and constituted failure of his of his job that's really hard to imagine how that could be for a spirit of Yavanna. you think that you would think that yavana um, would actually be interested in sending a spirit who's going to be looking out for the birds and beasts. Like, okay, you know, let, let Aloran take care of the elves and, uh, and, and, and men. He's got that taken care of. I want Radagast to be looking out for the birds and beasts. One could easily see Yovana thinking something like that.
0: Well, it could be from the different, you know, from, it depends on the point of view. I mean, from Manway's point of view, he may, not, you know, Yvanna may have actually taken Radagast aside and said, listen, I know you're supposed to go, you know, do Sauron, but what I really want to make sure you do is protect the birds and bees from Sauron, where Manway may have been like, no, no, you know, all of you are going over to help the elves and men. So it may have just been a point of view thing where Yvanna actually gave Radagast like a secret mission, which he, you know, made his priority.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, and, and, and I would say, I mean, to me, what well, one of the biggest differences, or let me say this a different way, one of the things that is pretty clear in that initial essay on the Astari, which includes that reference to Gandalf being the only one who didn't fail, um, one of the overall sort of functions of that essay, one of the things which Tolkien seems to be really emphasizing, uh, you know, I guess like, if you'd say, like, what was he trying to get across? One of the things he's trying to get across is basically, like, Gandalf is awesome you know how um what Gandalf 's success meant um how i mean this is really it's well i mean it sounds like it was really cheapening to call it Gandalf propaganda. But it is clearly a uh, a desire. It reflects a desire on Tolkien's part to emphasize to readers. Um, not that this was ever published in his lifetime, but anyway, his desire to to explain and emphasize the significance of what Gandalf did, because of course, you know, there's although there are references to it in The Lord of the Rings, that is how big a deal it was that Gandalf accomplished what he accomplished and what that meant. Um, Nevertheless, his glory is shared... With Aragorn becoming king and with Frodo uh, and you know the shift of the narrative coming back to the hobbits, it, it sort of seems almost as if Tolkien was like, okay, now you know I, I don't think I made it clear enough exactly how awesome Gandalf was and how stupendous was his <laughs> success, um, and so he 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 really expands on that in this essay on the Astari. Um, so it kind of sounds like he's he's kind of throwing Radagast under the bus a little bit uh, for the uh, for the sake of really. Sort sort of emphasizing, you know, not that he was wicked, not that he fell into evil, he wasn't as bad as Saruman, or as bad as he suggested the three wizards, the blue wizards got at that point. You know, he suggests that they you know, they probably, uh, you know, went off and, and founded, uh, you know, like magic cults and stuff, you know, became, um, actually, again, became corrupted and evil out in the east. Um, so he doesn't throw Radagast on, under the bus as hard as he throws the blue wizards under the bus. But, but anyway, he, you know, he, he clearly wants to take this, you know, to, to shine the spotlight on Gandalf there. Then later on, when, he is, when he's thinking through the story more, uh, he seems to want to put Radagast in a different place by affiliating him with Yovana, which seems to give a kind of a retroactive blessing to his attachment to birds and beasts, I would say. Um, anyway, that's about it. That is about the sum total of what we know about Radagast the Brown, period.
0: I a slightly off-topic question on that essay. So you said that Curano and the other Blue Wizard, they went over at the same time. So did Olorin come later? Yeah, and that
1: was something that was... I mean, generally, yes, in most of the versions of this, Gandalf is the one who came who came later. And mm-hmm. because he was like... He wasn't quick to volunteer. And again, the emphasis there is not that he was unwilling, you know, that, that you know, like Gandalf is out there with a... Resisting. Yeah. Right. You know, like, uh, you know, hiding or that he's out there, like, you know, with a beer and saying, don't bother me, you know, but rather that uh, he basically is is a sign of his humility, you know, that he didn't want to mm. um, kind of put himself forward, that he didn't, you know... he. Unlike Kuramo who was like, "Well, obviously I am the the, the one for the job, um, which is kind of a bad sign, right that Kuramo is the yeah. first one to jump forward, and of course, we see where Saruman 's own pride and his opinion of himself leads him in the end um, so that is the is the direction that I see Tolkien taking that that uh, that Olorin's reluctance to step forward is the same thing that leads him to remain faithful, uh, you know, to be able to be in the background um, to be merely a steward as he calls himself uh, in the return of the king, um, and not a leader you know, and not, uh, and not actually a ruler in the way that Saruman wants to set himself up as a ruler
2: Did he uh, return back
1: to, Val- to Valinor after the third age? Yes. Yeah. No idea. No idea what happens to 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 Radagast. Um,
2: I I asked that because I'm I'm digging through the the TolkienGateway.net article on Radagast. Because um, yeah. one of our one of our the listeners in the NetMoot, Daniel Helen, uh, actually wrote it.
1: Oh yeah yeah yeah. Daniel was he uh, helping this, us on the
2: Gateway last time. Yeah, and he quotes this poem from um, I, I guess it's from Unfinished Tales. Wilt thou learn the lore that was long secret of the five that came from a far country one only returned others never again which seems to suggest mm. that that of the five gandalf's the only one that ever went back
1: yes yeah that 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 passage is uh it, it is it's uh it's a poem in alliterative verse um as part of that initial essay um and uh yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that is, that is of a piece with that basically the stuff that says that he failed. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, that he was not, that he, that he would not have been welcomed back because he failed in his trust. But again, that it is not to me obvious that is Tolkien's final answer on the question. I mean, just as for instance, quite, well, very briefly, but fairly spectacularly, later in his life, he took back the bad things he said about the Blue Wizards. And, uh, I mean, th- this is, I think, sort of an interesting pattern where you see, like, his wanting to emphasize Gandalf's greatness, and so he does so by diminishing the three other. I mean, Saruman is already taken care of, but the other three get diminished in order to make Gandalf shine brighter in the in the in the essay on the Astari. But then later on, he seems to kind of regret that, and um, especially with the Blue Wizards, far from suggesting that they became you know that sort of the, the founders uh, uh, of these magic cults out in the East, he gives them names. I can never remember these offhand. I'd have to look it up. He gives them names, though. It's probably I, I I will bet you that. That, uh, that that Daniel and Sean Gunner and everybody else on Tolkien Gateway has it there if you look up the Blue Wizards <laughs> on Tolkien Gateway um, the names that he gave to the Blue Wizards, he doesn't tell their story, but he gives them names which suggest very strongly that they did not in fact fail and he suggests that in fact the Blue Wizards did remain faithful and did succeed and that the success of the Blue Wizards out in the East is part of the reason why Sauron's armies weren't even bigger when it came to the War of the Ring, because they were out there and uh, kind of helping.
2: Isn't one of their names I like, like Palando or something? Yeah.
1: Alatar and Palando are their names from that uh, from that essay I was ju- those notes I was just reading from those are their their, their, their Valinorian names before they come over so it's Aloran right. and Kuromo and Iwendil and Alatar and Palando. But then they're given names. Uh, I can't but, find their other names. Yeah, their names, they're, they're uh, well,
2: Tolkien they? Gateway doesn't have them. Come on, oh, Daniel.
1: Daniel, <laughs> get on it, guys. Come on now. Um, <laughs> let me see here. I think I I can probably come up with it. But it means like oh, he he tells us. Oh, Robert and Daniel
0: both spoke up at the same time. Morinatar and Romes Romestamo.
1: Yes. Oh, yes. Romestamo. Those are. That's there. They are. There they are. Um, well, yes. They really did say
2: that exactly at the same time. The only I know they did. Robert included the accents.
1: <laughs> Robert included the accents. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, bonus points to Robert for getting the accents in place.
0: Yeah, very good. Yeah, Moriniktar. Tar. Okay, thank yeah. you, Robert. Yeah, <laughs> Daniel. yeah, Daniel's, Daniel's saying he's going to have to rewrite the Blue Wizards article.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Um, this is, uh, let's see, in a, a brief essay that he wrote... Let's see. This is on page oh, okay. 384 of the Peoples of Middle-earth. I found it. Um, since we're on the subject, we might as well. I might as well. Uh, I wasn't planning to do this, but we might as well do this. Let's see. Uh, it mentions there's a penciled note that says Radagast is a name of Manish origin. Anduin Vale. Notice it's not saying it's Numenorean speech now, but not now clearly interpretable. So he's actually taking back the idea. He's he's wanting to change the idea that Radagast's name is in the Numenorean speech and has that known meaning. And uh, yes, okay. The, the um, okay. The other two came much earlier, uh, at the same time probably as Glorfindel. That is when Glorfindel comes back to Middle Earth. Glorfindel was sent to aid Elrond uh, and was preeminent in the War of Eriador, But the other two, Astari, were sent for a different purpose. Morinatar and Romestamo, and and those names translate to Darkness Slayer and East Helper, which by itself their names suggest that they did not. Fall into evil. Darkness Slayer and East Helper, they are called. Their task was to circumvent Sauron, to bring help to the few tribes of men that had rebelled from Melkor worship, to stir up rebellion, and after his first fall to search out, that is at the end of the Second Age, to search out his hiding, in which they failed, because he wasn't there, and to cause possibly dissension and disarray among the Dark East. They must have had very great influence on the history of the Second Age and Third Age in weakening and disarraying the forces of the East, who would both in the Second Age and Third Age otherwise have outnumbered the West.
2: Hmm.
1: So that's that's so, so again the the larger point here, because um, of course we're not I, I, I there's no evidence so far that the Blue Wizards are going to make the Hobbit films, um, but the reason that this change to the Blue Wizards, which is and this is this is just an outright flat complete contradiction, like complete change in Tolkien's mind. And I, I, I do want to make that plain. When I'm talking about contradictions in Tolkien's thinking here, I don't mean he's just being inconsistent with himself or making mistakes. I mean he's changing his mind. Uh, you know that he's that that these these characters and these stories are really are really growing and changing in his mind. You can see that a lot of times throughout tolkien 's life in various of of his writings and the things he 's thinking about so the evidence with the blue wizards shows he definitely was rethinking as he got towards the end of his life that 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 stuff that I was just reading those notes about the blue wizards those are very late in his life only a few years before his death so uh, so we can see him rethinking this and wanting you know he's already now cast the, the recast that is the blue wizards into these heroic roles out in the east although they're not you know their stories are not really told however he doesn't do that same thing with radagast we're not told explicitly you know his radagast story has not been recast but it does suggest to me that perhaps those references to his being affiliated with yavanna and that yavanna begged kurumo to bring him over that so that basically, he seems to be on like a mission for Yovana Essentially, that she wanted him over here, um, and that she was sending him for her own reasons. In part, does seem to me to be at least a first step towards pardoning him <laughs> for his and, and basically re uh, recontextualizing his relationship with birds and beasts as again a like an unashamed good thing. Uh, but anyway. Okay. Good. Yeah, and good. Pete had just put uh, the uh, uh, the translations of those also right before I read them too. So anyway, okay. So that's that's again. That's pretty much what we know about Radagast. There really is not very much more. So you mean we now, don't know that
2: his uh, that that Ross Gobel was attacked by spiders?
1: No, no. That is <laughs> just not in the books. Um, <laughs> Uh, That's
2: a, for the listeners who weren't paying attention, if like ten days ago, um, there was this uh, the the film production released an official Hobbit trivia game on Facebook, and in one of the questions amongst amongst a number of confusing, befuddling, or possibly downright inaccurate questions, amongst those was one where the question was. Essentially something like, uh, Ross Gobel was attacked by, and then they gave you a list of, of things, you know, four different things that never attacked Ross Gobel. <laughs> so it was like, I don't, this question was like tripped up people, multi, there were all kinds of people where this question was the major barrier to getting 10 out of 10, because it's like, None of these things ever attacked Ross Coble. What's going on? Yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's an unanswerable question. And what I would say two things about that. One is, remember what I said last time? I think it was, yes, it was last time when we were talking about the descriptions of the goblins that had been officially released and sanctioned mm-hmm. by Warner Brothers. And I was saying just because the studio puts it out doesn't mean you can rely on its being accurate or trustworthy because they don't always know what uh, the people who write that stuff don't always know what they're talking about and here I sort of wonder um, it certainly does suggest that Ross Goble is going to be attacked in the movie they got that idea from somewhere and they didn't get it from the books um, yes Well, so, the, one,
2: yeah. the, one, um, the one alternative is uh, Tyler Michael Johnson from Middle Earth Network uh, mm-hmm. s- told me that, uh, that Ross Goble is attacked by spiders in War in the North
1: Wow. (laughs) 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 That would be a gaffe. I mean, like, you know, know, nothing against war in the north, but if you're writing the – if the person who wrote that quiz actually mistook something that happened in the video game for something that happened in the book, that's, that's kind of an embarrassing mistake.
2: But that would be, in some sense, that would probably be, from the studio standpoint, that would probably be more tolerable than leaking a spoiler about the film inadvertently.
1: Yes, I suppose
2: so. I suppose so. I don't know. Um, It was uh, it was fairly. It appeared to be somewhat rushed and a little sloppy, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, They also had some some strange geographical anomalies, like which you know, like Corey. What would you say? Dale is what direction from? Oh, yeah, I heard about this question.
1: Wasn't that silly? it is not north of Merkwood. It just is not north of it. It's northeast. I mean, it's yeah, right. Uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's. plus Merkwood.
0: I mean, you could even.
1: I mean, it,
0: it, where in Merkwood?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is this is this is this is just something that I I, I don't understand. I've never really understood. It sort of seems to me like uh, people who. I don't know. Places like Warner Brothers, like if I could, like, give some totally unsolicited advice to Warner Brothers here by our broadcast which they will probably never hear um, I would say why don't you avail yourselves of like the vast resources of Tolkien geekdom out there I mean I am not here even I'm not thinking of myself as I mean there are thousands of people out there of our (laughs) listeners and pretty much uh, anybody who's in the net mood right now exactly (laughs) I mean it's like there's this there's this you know there's so many times I've seen things like this where they seem to just kind of chuck something together I guess it's not just a, a a comment on Warner Brothers. You see this. You see this with with film studios, with publishers, with all over the place. Like they're going to release some kind of some kind of like you know promotional thing, and it's like you know it doesn't take that much to fact check this stuff. There are there are you know hundreds and thousands of people who would be extremely willing to help with that. Um, um, right, and it wouldn't be I, that
2: hard to it wouldn't be that hard to do a. To turn it into a promotion where you uh, asked people to submit their favorite questions for a trivia thing. Yeah,
0: right. I mean, I think how much yeah. goodwill
1: they could raise? This—that's the part that I don't understand. It's like that. This A would not be hard, and B would raise enormous amounts of goodwill. Um, and, uh, yep. and 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 like it's yeah. <laughs> You know, people say, like, you know, Ed, like Ed is making some um, sardonic comments about Warner Brothers here. And the thing is, I I I get that. Like, I totally get the fact that they're a corporation which is trying to make money, and that they're not real fans and everything else. Like, I, I totally understand that. But I'm I'm stuck on they're a corporation trying to make money. Like, from a purely business right. standpoint, this would obviously be a smart thing to do. What the heck is there? What's the problem here? Come
2: on now. Also, and and they're not. And and the truth is, they're not cynically positioning themselves. That way, you know, we were yeah. dur- during during the war in the North documentary thing. We met a number of high-ranking executives from there, and they weren't they weren't. They were positioning themselves as we're legitimate Tolkien fans. We celebrated yeah. Bilbo's birthday last year with a tea online. We're doing all this right. stuff. We're, we right. totally love the lore and all that. Yeah. It's like, all right, we're going to hold you to that then.
0: Right. And I, can... I well, I do have one thought that I just want to insert in here. It does not excuse the lack of fact checking, but it did also occur to me that this question may have arisen because it shows up in the movie that maybe during the Battle of Five Armies or during the Goldur battle, spiders actually do attack Roscomel.
2: Well, yeah, um, that is the other alternative. That it's a that it's a still doesn't excuse a lack
1: of
0: yeah. It
2: doesn't excuse
1: yeah.
0: the. That's right. That's what
2: you thought. Was. It's hard to understand how people are supposed to answer that question if it's in a
1: film <laughs> right. they haven't seen. Right. It. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, it's certainly and it's certainly very logical. I mean, I I would kind of yeah. I, I would entirely applaud a like. Little Ross Goble action sequence i mean it's that's part <laughs> of the problem right I mean part of the problem is that radicast house is um it, well it's in a neighborhood that's really gone downhill in recent years. I mean, that's basically the problem. You know, doubtless when he settled there, it was a really nice place. You know, southern part of Greenwood, the great. I mean, who wouldn't like to live there? But uh, but yeah, then he gets these really undesirable neighbors, and the property values just drop through the floor. Squirrels um, go black. Yeah. And squirrel exactly. I mean, you've got you got everything. The, the you know the the spiders are multiplying, and and you've got worse things. Uh, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ross Gobel is is in a Bad place, and I can easily you you can easily see like let's get rid of this you know this wizard spy who is you know living right here on the on, on the borders would certainly be a prudent thing for Sauron to do, but yeah yeah obviously doesn't change now the fact you
0: know that um, one thing occurs to me it's probably a change of subject here but um. We did see the in inside of Ross Gobel in one of I think it was one of the v logs that that Jackson did, which seems to because we also saw the of course inside of bjorn's lodge as well, but it seems to imply that that was a set that
1: something's actually going to take place in the movie in in Goble. good well um, i mean you know I could totally see Gandalf visiting him there you know I would kind of that I could easily see and and i get it would makes makes perfect sense. Certainly, with you know, once they get close to Merkwood and things start to, you know, the the focus really begins to be drawn there. You gotta think that Gandalf is gonna recruit Radagast, I guess. Uh, again, not not knowing how they're gonna handle uh, him in the film. Now, of course, one of the there there are a couple. We should we should probably move a little bit further towards the depiction of Radagast in the film because there are a couple sort of big questions. I mean, one of the main things, certainly the the. the, the the sensation that was attached to the Radagast footage um, that was shown at CinemaCon is the silliness of it. I mean, we are, we've already talked about the rabbit sleigh and um, the uh, and there's that scene that's described of the, the little birds being under his hat, right? Yeah. Um, so obviously he's going to be funny, so I mean the one question is, like, is he is he going to be a buffoon? Is he going to be comic relief? Is he going to be, you know, Trish, as you've said, is is he going to be the Gimli of the Hobbit movies? And, you know, certainly I, I can be a little bit more sympathetic to that. I mean, I'd kind of rather have Radagast thrown under the comic relief bus than Gimli, frankly. You know, because we don't, I mean... I mean, is there anybody out there uh, something emotionally invested in Radagast? <laughs> I mean, we don't right. know him, right? So, if they're going to if they're going to introduce a character who is there but totally unknown and completely undefined, they have a blank slate in Radagast. So, yeah, I mean, make him uh, make him funny, make him uh, uh, make him a buffoon if you want. That's doable. I'm not sure that they're going to go all the way to making him a buffoon, to making him like, like a real laughing stock. but I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> not all
2: that invest- I'm not all that invested in him not being a buffoon. Uh, I'm I'm kind of okay with it. I, I just hope it's just not like completely radi- I just don't want any completely ridiculous humor, period, whether right. it's Radagast or dwarves or whomever. Right. Right. I'm all right with some humor, well, just not, like, not, you know, I don't know, um, Will Ferrell-type humor.
1: Right, right,
0: right. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think he is – I think you're right. I think he is going to be the comic relief even more than Bomber is going to be. I mean, you know, Bomber was really the comic relief in the book, wasn't he? Um but my thought is then too, like for example, in the in the CinemaCon footage that Quickbean wrote about, I think it sounded to me almost like the first time we see Radagast is when he meets uh, Gandalf near the crypts of the Nazgul, and uh, you know that's definitely not a funny scene. So Ed was saying Ed just said that he knew it was going to be silly when they cast Doctor Who, and I had the opposite reaction. Although I didn't see McCoy as Doctor Who. My thinking is somebody who could play Doctor Who would need to be able to do both funny and serious. So.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, so, and I I mean, that that does seem to be... I mean, and 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 to be fair with what they did with Gimli as well, um, much as I dislike that in some ways, it's not like they utterly under. I mean, Gimli was right. not just an idiot in the film. I mean, you know, they right. did manage to, you know, have moments of real seriousness and pathos with him as well. I mean, they did mingle serious with, with comical, even with Gimli. Um, so, yeah, one could certainly imagine that you know right. could handle that.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know. So, so let's think, uh, besides besides humor, what, what other kinds of roles... We haven't gotten too much into what role we expect him to play in the film. Um, and I think that's sort of the most interesting question. I yeah, think there was. I think there's been. I can't remember where this quote was from, but somebody said somewhere. Oh no, this was one of the digested quote unquote spoilers from DragonCon uh, that, oh, yeah. uh, that were that were that um, <laughs> were uh, provided by the OneRing.net. None of which were actually spoilers, and all of which were things we already knew, and some of yeah. which were actually suspect. <laughs> um, but one of the things they said there was was that. We know for a fact that his role, main his main purpose in the film storyline is to to connect the main storyline to the the necromancer's uh, White Council storyline, which is seems perplexing to me since Gandalf is invo- involved in both those storylines. So I don't know why you would need Radagast to connect them, but whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that is a little bit perplexing. So wait, he's connecting the the. Say it again? The main necro- storyline... The main... The... the dwarves...
2: The company... The, the, the actual Hobbit storyline to the the new Necromancer White Council story.
1: Okay. Okay. Actually, no. The more I think about that, the less sense that makes. Um, <laughs> what on earth does Radagast have to do with the dwarf storyline? I don't know. Um, I mean, I, 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 I don't see... I mean, you're right. Obviously, Gandalf is the one who connects those two things. Uh, I mean, primarily. <laughs> um who is quite prominently involved in both of them? Uh, I mean, I could imagine, I could imagine Radagast getting involved, like them making Radagast involved more in the dwarf, you know, hobbit thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when they when they're in Merkwood or something, I I could imagine a, like a, you know a Radagast intervention of some kind, um, but. But even that's going to be a tangential connection to them. I mean, it's I, I I I I'm having a hard time even parsing that. That's why I, I misheard it when you said it the first time because it didn't make any sense. Um, so hard to believe. Yeah, yeah, that's really hard to imagine. I I it's it's hard to even envision what they're thinking of there, um, unless he is going to be. Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, unless he's going to travel with them. I mean, unless we're actually going to see Radagast accompanying the party. <laughs> but that's hard I, I, to imagine.
2: Yeah, it. it I, I don't know what that means. Um, but it, what it could maybe mean is, is just that he's the one that essentially – Gandalf's on screen traveling with the company and that maybe Radagast the brown is popping up here or there to – um, to you know just kind of redirect our attention to to the other the other storyline, like, oh yeah, hey Gandalf, don 't forget we got that meeting later with the white council type thing.
0: Well, this this is one of the reasons why I agreed with Corey about where the Eagles take the company. It's because I was thinking, you know, if Radagast is going to be this character that keeps getting promoted, you know, and, and we see a lot of him, he's got to play a role somewhere. And so my thought had been that the Eagles would actually take the company to Radagast, or that Radagast that's, really no, that was you the agreed one Who with me?
1: With that was Dave's vote. Yeah, that's Dave's vote. Not oh, it was Dave's vote. Oh, sorry, I agree Dave's with vote. Dave. <laughs>
0: sorry. Sorry. Yeah, because right. I just thought... <laughs> you know, he has, he's got to have some role in there someplace, and I just thought that would make sense because we're near his home, and it's the beasts and the eagles and all that stuff, and so that might be another one of those connections that they were making at, at the OneRing.net, you know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I could see that happening. I mean, I could definitely see, especially with you know coming. Well, you know, pointing ahead to the stuff we're gonna talk about later, um, if they are changing where the first film ends, right. um and if we're if we were not to get Bjorn in the first film, um we're obviously gonna get the Eagles in the first film. Right. Um right. so uh and it also and it seems equally obvious that we're gonna get Radagast. So that I think in my mind makes it a little more likely um that the Eagles could take them to Radagast because you know, they're not even going to be. Um, Bjorn
0: won't even be an issue. Yeah. Bjorn won't even
1: have come up in the first film. Yeah. So unless they actually end the first film with like the Eagles taking them, we know not whither. Um, <laughs>
0: Right. Actually I could see
1: Beyond I can see the end of the, of the first world? film. <laughs> yes, I can actually
0: so. see the end of the first film and this would be so tacky but, it, but the end of the first film being the eagles take them away let them down and the very last thing we see is this huge bear roaring at them and that's the yeah. end of the first
1: film. I could see it. I could see it. or or even just like, you know, like with with the eagles flying, you know, uh, and and not landing yet, you know, and have right, the right. second film open with them uh landing on the Carrick and going to Bjorn's <laughs> house. Um but anyway, no, I, I could I could I could I could imagine that. But um let's let's actually uh, Talk about the the actual prediction question and the options that we have there to kind of um... yeah. Because I think I would like to
2: talk a little more about his his role on the White Council storyline. Yes. Um, and and his interactions with the other characters. So, um, but before we launch into the right into the prediction question, I, the the one thing I want to recall is we have seen scenes of him interacting with Gandalf in some kind of catacomb setting. Yes. Uh, I I, I still like – I'm having trouble keeping straight the Tomb of the Nazgul, Dol Guldur, the the same place. Are they different? I'm not sure, but – so we don't know exactly where they were interacting. Well, presumably it was the Tomb of the Nazgul, but but that might actually be in Dol Guldur. Who knows? But we have seen him – interacting with Gandalf there he was i don't know if he discovered it first and then gandalf and then summons gandalf or gandalf seems surprised to see him but then gandalf kind of try uh, if i recall gandalf like
1: sends him away yeah, that's in the account from the CinemaCon stuff, I think.
0: Yeah. All right. All right. I'll, let me read the little passage here. It says, In the scene where Gandalf is walking warily around ruins of some kind, he whips around to see who is sneaking up on him and exhale, exhales, rather irritated, Oh, it's you, followed by Radagast's frightened admission that the crypt they're standing in is not a nice place to meet. He also has a glowing crystal piece and a staff, and leaning over the vertical shaft, they both look down over the edge. They count nine tombs, all with their spells broken and bars ripped. It, to me, him meeting Radagast like that, given how close Radagast lives to Dol Guldur, does kind of support the idea that these crypts are there, and that's where Gandalf goes. And, and we know Radagast
1: is not a traveler. Right. Yes, good. Yes, I left that out. That is one of the other facts. Gandalf says that to <laughs> You were never a traveler. Um. Unlike Gandalf, you know, who is the Grey Pilgrim, he's the Wanderer, um, who has no home and no place that he stays and is continually moving around. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's 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 go through the options here, and then we can we can continue discussing this. Okay. So the question is just basically, what function will Radagast serve on the White Council um, in the Hobbit trilogy? And um, so here are the options. And actually, Trish, you just added one, which I like better. I did. I'm 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 gonna make. the that's your option is the new D, D. Uh, okay. so so okay so, here we're we're gonna say, option A is really actually this is a, this was this is one that was very challenging to come up with a book answer because there's almost no answer to this question, uh, but option A is that he is that he's honest that he's a good guy but he has a minor role that he's really he's he's not a major player, um, in the White Council. Um. So he's present. He's helping, but he's but he's 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 a very minor, uh, minor well, role as far as the good White Council. D answer. Sorry. Huh? Yeah. Isn't <laughs> it? Uh, I was just saying. Yeah. Um, option <laughs> good B. Job, Trish.
0: She's brilliant. <laughs>
1: yeah. Option A. So that's option A. He's 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 honest. He's a good guy, but he's got a really minor role. Option B. Um, he's one of the inner circle. He's operating on a par with Gandalf and Elrond and Galadriel. So we see him. You know, he's just you know one of the major players in the White Council option c uh is that he's Saruman's patsy um you know that basically <laughs> he is uh he is working basically working for Saruman now i would clarify this does not mean that he has to be evil um i That's think right. that he he could be entirely well-intentioned but he's basically subordinate to Saruman um and and,
0: tr- and trust Saruman and think Saruman yes. is
1: exactly. good, which is as gold which and, yeah which, which,
2: in fairness, is not does not make him. It's it's not a knock against his character because at this point everybody trusts Sironen, right? Maybe maybe some people a little less so than others, but but, but it's but they're suspicious. They don't have suspicions. They just have sort of they had a preference for Gandalf as being the the head of the council. But nobody has nobody distrusts him at this point. So it's not it, it doesn't make Radagast a doofus. No, um, not at all. But I think it would have more to do with how they portrayed on screen. That that they would, that there would clearly be it would clearly be the case that that Radagast is taking his cues from Saruman. You know that they like like in the Lord of the Rings. Um, yes. That he he explicitly says, you know, hey, what are you doing here at the tomb of the Nazgul? Well, Saruman sent me, and right. you know, and in the council scenes, he votes the way Saruman votes
1: and stuff. And he you know and he may also well do, uh, you know, like carry tales back to Saruman. We could see him telling Saruman about meeting Gandalf and what Gandalf was doing, and mm-hmm. you know Saruman being very interested in this, and Radagast not really having any idea that he's you know betraying Gandalf or anything. But yeah, that he is basically like totally subordinate to Saruman and manipulated actively by Saruman. I would sort of add as sort of a, a piece of that. And then option D is uh, that he's not a part of the White Council at all. That he's sort of off on his own, and he's he's not really part of the group decisions uh, when the White Council actually meets and acts. That's um, which yeah. is not
2: not implausible because in the few glimpses of the White Council assembled that we've seen, I don't think we've seen Radagast the Brown there yet.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yep I and he agree. doesn't really come up he doesn't really come up in in tolkien's writings
1: like the appendices talking about the white council I mean, yeah i mean the the references to to well i have to say the references to the membership of the council is uh yeah not clear at any point really <laughs> uh in tolkien's writings i mean in fact, in the first reference to it um in uh in the hobbit it's uh it's very well, it's very unclear. Um, mm-hmm. This is when, it's, it's in the final chapter when he sort of overhears uh, Gandalf telling Elrond about it. Um, it was in this way that he learned where Gandalf had been to, for he overheard the words of the wizard to Elrond. It appeared that Gandalf had been to a great council of the white wizards, masters of lore and good magic, and that they had at last driven the necromancer from his dark hold in the south of Mirkwood. So we have this vague and uncertain, co- num- you know, uh, size of collection of plural wizards. Um, And then it seems later on that clearly Galadriel is part of it, so that the White Council is not just wizards, uh, that it is also the, you know, the great elf lords and everything, too. So, you know, Elrond and Galadriel are clearly a part of it. And Círdan. Um, Wasn't Círdan also? Yeah, presumably, yeah. I I mean, it's, you know, that he's he's certainly one of the wise. Um, But... But I mean, anyway, certainly, given the Hobbit description there—that is of the of the of the of the wizards plural—it um, would be hard not to include Radagast there, especially since, of course, conspicuously not Saruman, but he, Radagast, is the only other wizard mentioned by Gandalf in the Hobbit. So the only thing that the reader of The Hobbit has to go on when Gandalf says, oh, it was a meeting of the White Wizards, is like, oh, it must be his cousin Radagast and others. And a cousin, of course, I don't take to be, even in The Hobbit, I don't take that to be any kind of a literal familial thing. Um, But, like, part of his order, as Gandalf says in The Fellowship of the Ring. But, um... Anyway, it's funny. Okay.
2: By the
0: time we got, by the time I got to that part of the book, and, and every time I've read it, I mean, you bringing it up just now actually is the first time I've thought about it. But every time I've read the book, when it gets to that part about the White Wizards, I don't even remember Radagast. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Because <laughs> it's so. Yeah.
0: You know, the the reference to him is so sparse in in The Hobbit, so I didn't even remember him. I was just thinking, oh well, there's other wizards, obviously. And, I remember you, Radagast.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: Ranagast gets so little press.
1: I, 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 uh,
2: I had uh, Trish, Ed. Ed wants to know if uh, if Trish's boyfriend is on the council.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Glorfindel. He's is he on the council? I don't. I don't think he is. Is he? I don't <laughs> know.
1: <laughs> we're not. We're not told who. We're not told. We're not told. We're, we're, we're not given like the. You know. We don't. We don't see like the minutes of the White Council. Actually, that would be. That would be a really funny. Uh, uh, piece, actually, to write like, uh, you know, minutes of a white council meeting. Um, <laughs> that would be really funny, actually. But anyway, uh, you,
0: who, we don't, who, who would be who would be the secretary?
1: <laughs> you know, I would actually be tempted to make it Radagast, actually, but uh,
0: uh, that's true.
1: That's Radagast true. Or, or, or one of the elves, Galdor. Yeah, or maybe Caliborn. Like, might as well do something useful. So I volunteered. Yeah, right. Secretary. He comes
0: along with Galadriel. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I was, Rather than sitting around holding my wife's clipboard, I decided to. I decided to volunteer to keep the minutes.
2: Curious to know what are, what are the perennial topics that 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 always come up that everyone that they that they don't agree on and that they all um <laughs> like nobody agrees on and they keep bringing it up and and hashing it out
1: over and over again. That's right. The, that issue that they decide to table for next meeting yet again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. yeah. it's it's. But no, we don't, we don't really know. I mean, I would actually guess. Uh, I would I would guess yes on Gorfindel. Um, he's a he's a. But I mean, but it's really just a guess. I mean, that's based only on the fact that he is clearly a really important figure. I mean, he's a um, born again elf, right? I mean, Jesus exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 a return. To Middle Earth, Elf. That yeah, is that yeah. puts him in uh, in uh, well, I was going to say in really elite company, but that's mm-hmm. really elite company all by himself actually, <laughs> um, which I suppose is, pretty, is about as elite as you get. Elite company, yeah, pretty elite <laughs> exactly. company, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so. Um, so yeah, so so what do we think about Radagast's involvement? My suspicion, I think he is going to be on the White Council, and the reason I think he's going to be on the White Council is because I don't think that they're going to want to lose the opportunity. They have some real chances to um, to create some really interesting kind of like political and psychological stuff, and we've talked about this, you know, Dave, a long time ago, a little bit when we were talking about Saruman and. Um, And how they're going to handle the Saruman situation. You know, the ways that they, the the, the opportunities that they're going to have. To sort of show the first moves of what is eventually going to be Saruman's game, without Gandalf and Galadriel picking up on it, and the the dynamics of like the two of them, Galadriel and Gandalf are 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 sort of you know in cahoots together, and Saruman feels excluded, and to begin to see the the sort of seeds of frustration and anger and pride growing in him, to add Radagast to the mix, you know somebody who is perhaps wise but also, you know, in a in a sort of a more junior position, who is funny, but who, uh, you know, is probably, I assume, um, based on the pictures they've released, that he's going to be kind of endearing. Um, you know, I think he's going to. He, he, I mean, he looks kind of lovable, doesn't he? Uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that that seems to be how they're going to play him. Um, but again, the one, the biggest, the single biggest thing we have from Radagast in the books, the, you know. The, the the single biggest point that they have to start with is the way that saruman plays him in the fellowship of the ring and so i would could easily imagine that being you know them really wanting to 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 play that up it is one of the things it is definitely on my short list it is on my like top 5 list of things i am most interested to see is going to happen in the films is how they're going to do these dynamics among saruman and Galadriel and gandalf uh, and Elrond in the film, um, because I think that there is so much potential for that to be handled really interestingly, and I will be very, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very keen to see how they actually do it. And I think that Radagast could play a really interesting role there. Hmm, so, for that reason, yeah. I think he's yeah. going to be there. So I, so, so I'm definitely not going D because I think that, uh, I think that, that he's, he's, he, he's going to be a part of it. You've eliminated one option, progress. Yeah. I've eliminated one option for me. All right, so I'm go going against, to I'm, pick an I'm answer? Gonna, I'm going to go against A2 because I think they're going to make him more than just a, a, a very minor role. Um, so I don't think he's just going to be totally on the outskirts, which leaves me with B or C, and I'm going to go with... C, Radagast is going to be Saruman's patsy. That's what I'm going with. Interesting.
2: What's your what's your what's your reasoning for that?
1: <sighs> well, and how will that? How do you think that'll look? How do I think that'll look? Well, kind of like the way I was describing it earlier, and 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 the things that Dave was saying. Um, that is, I don't think it's going to make him look bad. I don't. Th- I think that um, there's going to be. Um, I think that there's going to be uh, a a kind of sort of tragic irony there, you know, that he trusts Saruman um, and he respects Saruman and that Saruman is going to be manipulating him. I could actually see Radagast being used by by the filmmakers as a tool to give us, the film viewers, our first indications of... Saruman's character that is of his true character um, without revealing it to Ganda like, obviously he's you know he's not going to be like cleverly hiding you know armies of orcs in his closet you know he, he's, he's not going to be acting evil in those kinds of overt ways even I think in secret I don't think he's going to do that. You know, have his, like, still, still, still top super secret orc R&D department in the basement of Orthanc. Like, I don't think that's going to be happening. Um, but I think that we are going – I think that Radagast could be used very interestingly as a kind of go-between between Gandalf and Saruman. If Saruman were too overtly suspicious of Gandalf and Goadriel in person, then the film would have to expect us to see them, that is Gandalf and Galadriel, as obtuse, um, if they didn't pick up on it. But if Radagast is kind of a middleman, or not between, among, I suppose, um, Saruman and and Gandalf and Galadriel, uh, then basically Radagast could be the only one who has the opportunity to see uh, that he is increasingly distrustful, and he could be sympathetic to Saruman. Um, Again, without being himself corrupt, he could be sympathetic to Saruman's position. Um, And, you know, I think uh, this is, you know, uh, Trish, why don't you go ahead and pose the other question that you had posed, because to me it bears on this yeah yeah
0: i i was going to bring that up when i answered I, I i don't think radagast is going to make it past this trilogy i think he's going to end up getting killed at some point possibly in the battle of dal Goldur. two reasons i say that is one we are this is like such a super sympathetic character i mean this is such move it's almost like a trope in the filmmaking industry where you you know the heartstring pull you know where you you become so enamored of a, a character like this and then he dies and but probably the even overarching reason is there is literally no mention of Radagast made in the Lord of the Rings films. And if he's going to yeah. have such a such a role in this trilogy, you know how else are they going to explain not having him
1: show up at all in Lord of the Rings except that he bought the farm? Yeah. I, I actually find that argument fairly persuasive because um, that's, that's right. If he's going to be a big player here... There almost demands an explanation of why he wasn't in the movies. Like, why is he not a player in the Lord of the Rings if he's such a big player in the Hobbit? At least, if he's even if he's any kind of a size player in the Hobbit. Um, and so, one obvious explanation of that is that is that he dies. And this I actually find a very attractive idea, and it's one of the things. Thinking about that is one of the things also that leads me to the Saruman's patsy vote because. We could actually uh, have a betrayal. Right. Not witnessed by Gandalf or Galadriel. Nobody else knows about it. But Radagast could actually be one who, by the ends of the films, sees or begins to suspect uh, that Saruman is turning to evil, and Saruman could off him. That's Saruman right. Saruman bumps right. him off. Yeah.
0: Because are yeah. upsetting
2: Yana.
1: I-, I know. I was just going to
0: apologize <laughs> to Yana.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've burst his moth bubble. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd, <laughs> yeah, but see, he's, he's, it's, uh, but see, but that's the thing, Yana, that's exactly it. In the Lord of the Rings films, Radagast is no part of that. The moth and the eagle are all Gandalf. So, you know, this is just like the moth is simply, obviously, a random moth flying by whom Gandalf befriends, right? You know, Gandalf speaks to him, and the moth somehow, I always find a little bit of uh, suspension of disbelief quite necessary in this, the moth (laughs) finds the eagle like, what does this moth fly hundreds of miles? <laughs> but at speed of light. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, uh, it's, this 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 is like the, this. The, it's got a jetpack or something. But anyway, <laughs> so but, but 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 that's exactly it. Radagast is no part of Gandalf coming to 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 uh, Orthanc in the first place, and he is no part of his escape. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think, and and you know, and I could really see a moving betrayal of, of Radagast, you know, if he had trusted Saruman and then, but then because of his trust with Saruman, he trusts Saruman. And so he keeps going to Saruman and he's the one who's, who is really kind of the liaison with Saruman outside of the formal council meetings, which I assume there will be formal council meetings. Um, Then, uh, and then he basically, he, he he so he's the one who gets suspicious because you can't have gandalf suspicious uh, it's, right. it's going it's a huge continuity and er- er- error for gandalf to have any suspicion of saruman um, because G- gandalf is just touchingly completely trusting of saruman at the beginning of the fellowship of the ring film i mean i just i find it really cute right. that scene that 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 scene when he's talking to <laughs> frodo and Bag End and he's like i will go to saruman he will know it Trust me, Frodo, he will know what to do. It's so adorable. Um, <laughs> and, like, there's just... Yeah, you're free... right.
2: They can't do anything to violate that.
1: No. Right. So, I mean, yeah. So, it's, it's clearly, um, but... But again you're going to be losing an opportunity if you don't have any if nobody has any suspicion, right? I mean if the entire Hobbit film, Hobbit trilogy goes by and Saruman is like still being a good boy and there's no problem there. I mean that's that, that couldn't work. Right. That couldn't work. Um plus so this Rash is a neat way for us candidate. to both right. It's it's a neat way for
0: both Radagast to no longer be part of the story and for the audience to to know even though nobody else does now that Saruman's a bad egg.
2: Right. Right. Um so, so the one, the one, the main, the main objection to this, in my opinion, which has nothing to do with the story, but more to do with audience reaction, is this the kind of thing that could just really send some Tolkien fans off the deep end?
1: What the death of Radagast?
2: Yeah, killing, killing off, char- like a, a killing off a character who did not die. Well, did did he? We don't know. Who knows what happened. Not to it Ryan, but he wasn't dead at the time killing him off in such a way as to to have him be dead in the chronology oh, the f- of the films Ryan. at a oh, time when he yeah, was well, not he dead.
1: I mean he, well yeah, no <laughs> yeah, well I
2: mean
1: for all the good no. he did. <laughs> no, I mean, in the Lord of the Rings films, he might as well be dead. Um, right. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I I see that. But again, I, I I do also. I mean, I would say, I mean, like seriously, if you're gonna like fight for Radagast, like. What are you willing to let go? I mean, we get nothing from Radigast. Yes, it would be a violation. Yes, yes, it would be a violation. But here, I feel like, as Trish said, like, you know, the the, the you know, the, there's no point closing the barn door now. I mean, like, he was already <laughs> omitted from the Lord of the Rings. Yes,
2: so. yes, yes. But you're 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 the thing you're the thing you're um, the possibility you're 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 ignoring is the George Lucas option. So you go back and you refilm <laughs> scenes from Lord of the Rings. So oh, yeah. instead of instead of having Gandalf just say, you know, I'll go to Saruman, he'll know what to do, you have a knock on the door and it's hey, it's Sylvester McCoy as Randas <laughs> problem. Like, hey, we should go see Saruman.
1: <laughs> uh, uh maybe. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Corey, you're so nice. You're so nice. <laughs> <laughs> Not completely. <laughs> that, seems, that, that strikes me as unlikely, Dave. But I think... <laughs> um... Yeah, yeah. No, let's... Uh, I, I am... I mean, I will say that now, one now of you're... the premises I'm operating under is that Peter Jackson is not going to go George <laughs> Lucas in general. He's not going to so...
2: reshoot and re-release his, his original Lord of the Rings films?
1: Oh, well, I'm not saying he won't re- re- re-release them, or like, that the studios won't want to re-release them, but yeah, it's a little hard <laughs> for me to imagine that. Um <laughs>
0: J- so James says, like- new theory, Radagast turns into a moth at the end of the movie. <laughs> That's awesome. And, that
2: they'll actually, and then what they'll do is they'll actually go into the Lord of the Rings and and they'll edit out the moth and it'll be Radagast the Brown flying there.
0: A little bitty Radagast right. the Brown.
2: Right. <laughs> um <laughs>
0: it all depends on how
2: peter jackson's subsequent filmmaking career goes if he can yeah, get if he can manage to make a hit that isn't a tolkien film then maybe but if he if he has trouble then maybe he'll start to think oh maybe i'll go back and tool around with lord of the rings <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, let's hope
2: for better things than that. But so, is this uh, a? Is it, it? Are we just sort of? Are we just doing an intellectual exercise here? Or is this going to yeah. be an official question? Uh, no. Well, would, you know, Will it should Rattagasta be a conundrum die.
0: It should be a conundrum, but we can't do <laughs> but, it until Dave. Yeah, or we have to save it. Digest. Yep. Yeah, we just save Good it for point. another movie. So, cuz we yeah, don't
2: no one time thinks time. he'll be dead by the end of this film right no no no, okay. no, all right. no way.
1: We'll, we'll I keep... mean you have to have at least I mean maybe by the end of the second film he could buy it I mean you uh, know now like they have Boromir of course dying at the end of the first film so it's like it's impossible to build a relationship with a character and then you know uh, have him die in a very moving way at the end of a film one but no I can't with the with all of the indications of where they're not going to get with the Dol Guldur plot in in uh, film right. one, I can't imagine it. Besides, I want to see Radagast with his money army before he take you know before he gets.
0: Absolutely, off absolutely. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Um.
2: Okay, so Trish and uh, Trish and I need to make our predictions. Trish,
0: what's yeah. your what you? Corey? Corey, to go you're first. going with
1: Patsy, right? Patsy. Yep. C is my choice. All right.
0: Corey, you are so. Uh, what? What's a, you should be a salesperson. <laughs> <laughs>
1: See, this is the problem. Like, you totally shouldn't let me vote first because then i will like, try trying yeah. to talk everybody into like my own cockamamie idea, which usually within a week turns out to be un- incorrect. So incorrect. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I, you know, I had originally thought of the, well, cause the reason, one of the reasons why I thought of the idea of him not being part of the White Council at all was actually that's the direction I was kind of going. But then, then I would be negating my own thing, which is we need to have him showing up. You know, there needs to be some role for him through the movie, rather than just you know little bitty pieces here and there. So I did talk myself out of him not being on the on the White Council. Then it came to A and C. Now I absolutely can get Corey's thing. You know, I think the idea of him being, especially in with regard to what we just talked about in terms of a betrayal. But I think to be controversial, I'll stay with A. Okay. Let's do that. So basically, he's like an outsider. Just to spread it. Yeah, yeah, just to spread, I mean, he'll be there, he may be the secretary, you know what I mean? He, he'll be there, he'll participate, but not a decision maker, not a major player on the council. Right. And I'm doing that so we can spread the wrongness across more than one answer. <laughs> That's very
2: generous, very generous of you. I, however, am going with Patsy.
0: Okay. Are you? Okay, good.
2: Okay. Yes, okay. And, and and I'm I'm adding the disclaimer that I liked that answer before Corey gave his his very convincing spiel.
1: <laughs> well, I was suspecting that Dave because you renamed that one, so I could tell I was I was suspecting you were already it had thinking a special affinity that. for it. Yeah, and I was suspecting that. Okay. Now, do we well, want to
0: hear from our group here? Do we want people to? Yeah, vote yeah. Let's
1: see. Uh, you guys should vote. Oh, Ed, you're no fun. None of the above.
0: Ed who, who Father Roderick who are, answer.
1: I was gonna say, who do you think you
0: are? Father Roderick here? Come on. <laughs> Pete's with Pete's with Corey and Dave. Okay. Oh, Daniel, you're thinking B, huh? All right.
2: I mean thinks okay. he's gonna be a player.
0: Okay, Owen's Owen's with Patsy. Yeah. Yeah. So right now it looks like C's kind of the dominant response. And by, by the way, you guys, don't forget that when this comes up on Riddles on the Dark Predictions page on Facebook, go actually officially log your answers. That's right. That's right. Yana! <laughs> <Gianna! laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, a, a quick review again. A is basically l- like the book. He's a good guy, but he's a, but he's a minor character, so he's going to be on the fringe of the White Council. B is that he's one of the inner circle of the White Council. He's going to be a major player. He's going to be a good guy, but a major player. C is that he's Saruman's patsy. He's subordinate to Saruman and probably duped by Saruman. Uh, and so he he's going to be like Saruman's tool and his dupe and D is that he's not part of the White Council at all, that he, he doesn't even convene with them. He's just like com, like a, a maverick on his own in Mirkwood. Okay. Um, we should... Uh, um, we have some announcements, we should, don't we, to do? Yeah, and we, we... Oh, yeah, yeah, we do have some announcements. And we should move along if we're going to say anything about the... Uh, do you want to save the other stuff, Dave? Do we have time? No, Dave, no I, Dave's, uh, Dave's schedule's opened up. I have, oh, a, I have a little ex- I have a little
2: extra time. We have time to do it. Okay, and, I, and it's important. I wanna I wanna I wanna put our plant our flag on the ground in terms of where we think the film's yeah. gonna end. And-
1: okay. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, then announcements, right? Yeah. Okay, two announcements. Announcement number one is uh, prepare for Hobbit Day on Saturday, September 22nd, and we're doing this on Saturday because it's a Saturday and everybody won't be working. (laughs) Um, uh, On Saturday, September 22nd, uh, we are going to be celebrating the 75th anniversary of The Hobbit. This is something that uh, the guys from the Middle Earth Network and I are doing. Um, We are planning, and we are planning a day-long event, so uh, we're going to be posting – schedule and stuff. We're going to have a whole bunch of things going on. We're going to have uh, readings from lots of people um, including, uh, you know, c- scholars and celebrities. We're going to have sort um, a, a release party for my book and some other things. We're going to have check-ins from Hobbit parties that are going on around the country uh, and around the world. We're going to see if we can have uh, a guest appearance by a wonderful panel of Tolkien scholars as it happens on that day. Um, uh, most of the great Tolkien scholars in the world, I couldn't be there because I had to be over here, but most of the great Tolkien scholars in the world are in Dublin uh, for a major Tolkien conference. So Tom Shippey and Berlin Flieger and Michael Drought and Tom Honiger and uh, Dimitra Femi are all going to be over there uh, in Dublin, and we're, uh, we're, we're trying to see if we can actually uh, pipe them in during the day uh, to do some discussion of The Hobbit on its 75th anniversary. Um, we're going to be doing some... Or just, whole bunch of stuff is going to be going on so and it's going to be basically an all day broadcast it's going to be both video and audio broadcast on that day uh, for the entire day we're going to be doing some uh, some st- we're going to be doing some special littles in the dark stuff we're trying to get together a uh, sort of a, a live audio panel with as many of our analysts as we can so we can have some sort of group discussion with uh, with all of them live um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun so and if there are things you know we're still sort of final Things so if there are some ideas that uh, that you guys have, you can feel free to offer up uh, you know sort of further ideas of things you might like to see. So, um, so that's that's one thing. Just so basically sort of you know circle September twenty second on your calendar. We're going to be broadcasting all day that day, um, and on um, also the 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 stuff. Sh- one question that I've been asked, people have been asking, is is this stuff going to be recorded? Will it be available? Yes, yes, it will. Um, so you won't miss. No, it No, you better, better be there. Yeah, we would like you to participate live um, because there will be a bunch of opportunities for you to participate. So anyway, that is the announcement number one, September 22nd. Uh, keep that in mind. Um, announcement number two, we have a, uh, Mythgard Institute has a special offer for Riddles in the Dark fans. Uh, for those of you faithfully listening to Riddles in the Dark, we have, uh, we have a, a, a gift for you uh, to thank you for your uh, participation uh, and uh, support of the Riddles in the Dark series. Uh, and that is we would o- like to offer you a discount on any of the course packs that Mythgard has available. So we have recordings of the courses that we have previously offered. You can find recordings of the Lewis and Tolkien class that I taught, the Modern Fantasy class I taught over the summer, um, Verlin Flieger's Arthurian Literature class, uh, uh, Amy Sturgis's Harry Potter class, um, the first of our uh, introductory Latin courses, if, you, uh, if you've ever wanted to learn Latin. Um, anyway, all of those things are currently available, and uh, you will get a 25% discount if when you check out one of our course packs, you add the code. The well, Okay, I was going to say top secret. It's not exactly very secret, but the exclusive Riddles in the Dark code, RITD25. That's... Riddles in the Dark 25, a 25% discount for all Riddles in the Dark listeners. So just enter ritd 2 5 as your discount code when you check out any of our course packs, uh, and you will get 25% off. So that is a, that is a special offer from the Mythgard Institute for Riddles in the Dark fans.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Huh? We're not announcing it anyplace else, but on, of course, this broadcast
1: and the podcasts. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So just just for just for our listeners there. So, okay, those are our two announcements. Now let us move on to uh, to controversy.
0: Yes, I believe Dave is um, gone away for just a second, and I oh. will be going away for just a second in a little while. But let's get started on the on
1: this uh,
0: app. Have you had a chance, Corey, to look at the app?
1: I have. Yes, um, uh, I was looking at it uh, the first night it was released, when I should have been doing other things, and um, I, it was. <laughs> Uh, it was very interesting. I mean, sort of as apps are, I mean, I don't know, I've never really done movie apps and stuff like that because it's like, there's so much, it's so limited. I was actually, I yeah. found it really useful to have the, uh, the production videos gathered into one place. That's, that's quite convenient. So I can watch those, uh, on, on my iPad. That's nice. Um, but other than that, there certainly was not much in the way of information. Um, the thing I, you know, as I, I was kind of tweeting about it, as I was looking at it on that first night, and the the thing that I was emphasizing, what I really liked most were the were the individual descriptions of the dwarves. Um, yeah, I, I, I was very interested by their characterization of the dwarves, and this is where you know the stuff that I was that I mentioned before that I have been impressed by, um, you know, that that it's you know I really have been, is that they really do seem to be taking seriously. Um, what information we have. Um, it is not... How can I say this delicately? It was not my impression in watching the Lord of the Rings films that they had... I, I, I did not watch those and say, wow, these people have really read carefully. Like, they really caught every right. detail. Um, you know, I was fine with some of the changes that they were making. Like, I totally get that it's, it's, this is this is an adaptation and not just a translation of the story onto film, everything else, but... But anyway, there, there were just a bunch of things that didn't make much sense to me, and they, they just, w- where they seemed to be missing stuff. Um, but you take the dwarves, most of them we know almost nothing about. I mean, most of the dwarves uh, that are on the quest remain almost complete ciphers. Um, but. There are a few. There's a very short list of of, of sort of facts that we have about these different characters, and each one of those facts that I could think of, they have actively incorporated. They've built on it a lot. Of course, they're clearly trying to develop all of these dwarves into recognizable and uh, and individual characters. But you take, for instance, the fact that uh, you know, Dory is the strongest of the dwarves. Well, that's included. That's, that's, that is, in fact, referred to in the story, that Dory is the strongest one of them. Um, and so that, you know, that's one thing that they get right. One example that I thought was, that was to me most interesting uh, from this kind of an interpretive standpoint was Ori. Here's the description of Ori that they give in the app. Younger brother to Nori and Dori, Ori is a talented artist and can often be found drawing and writing in his journal. It is Ori who chronicles much of the journey through the wild to the shores of the Long Lake and the slopes of the Lonely Mountain. Polite and well-bred, he is used to being bossed around by his older brother, Dory, and is usually biddable, although occasionally he can surprise his fellow companions with his courage and determination. Um, now, One might be tempted to look at that and be like, they're just utterly making this up. I mean, they've got nothing to go on there. They don't quite have nothing to go on there. What they're going on is the one piece of information we ever learn about Dory, which is that he was the one who wrote, who who right. had the really attractive handwriting, um, in the book of Mazarbul in the log in the chamber
2: him. of the of Mazarbul. Right, exactly. Right. Sorry, exactly. I had to jump in and interrupt. Yeah, <laughs>
1: right. right, He's the one. He, he's the one who uh, who 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 had what what uh, what Ganov describes as a fair hand. He has really nice handwriting and could write well and speedily. Says uh, uh, says Gimli, and often used the dwarf letters. Um, so based on that one tiny little fact that we get about him, that he had really good, that he had very attractive uh, and fluent handwriting, um, and was one of the ones who was clearly one of the scribes for Balin's folk who tried to resettle Moria. They took that one tiny tidbit of thing and made it into oh so he's uh, he he's he's a journalist and uh, and an artist so that you know he he's he's keeping a chronicle uh, and and is you know like whatever like, some of the things that they're describing about the dwarf seemed a little bit campy, but the fact is like I, you know I I was kind of impressed. That one's about not the insane. That, no, it's not insane. They actually yeah. like it's it's. It it has a seed in the only thing that we know about Ori, so yeah. that was something that I, I, I would, found pretty consistent. I would like to say I'm I'm particularly proud of the fact, uh,
2: uh, and you can take credit for this. This is the influence you're having on me. So Father Roderick and I did like a three-part Secrets of the Hobbit like uh, episode marathon one weekend. It was like four hours of podcasting where we went through these things in detail, and I caught and I caught this on the Ori thing. I was like. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! I think I know this. <laughs> I was pretty excited, and and I had and I had much the same sort of uh, um, spiel that you just gave, which is which is this is this is actually uh, you know this is an example of them sort of I think doing something extremely reasonable and probably and probably sort of maybe similar, you know, It's the kind of thing that if Tolkien were to go back and revise, he might do, um, yeah. and and it opens up the interesting possibility maybe Bilbo gets the idea for his. Um, his His red book from the diary and, and, and log that uh, Ori is keeping as they travel right
1: right so, yeah, it's uh, kind of cool it is kind of cool it is, and then you've got some like where they're where they're completely you know where they, where they have absolutely nothing to work with, like Bofort for instance, um, other than Bofort's relationship with bomber and Bifur um, which changes around by the way uh, in, in the drafts of the Hobbit. Um, but anyway, where it's settled to in the published uh, text is that Bopher is Bomber's brother and Bifer is Bofer's cousin. So uh, so Bomber and Bopher are brothers, and their cousin is is Bifer. Um, mm-hmm. That's literally all we know about Bopher. I mean, we, we, we get nothing else about Bopher. And so they've you know made up this whole character and backstory of Bopher that he's um, – you know with his a love of music and a fine singing voice uh, and is unfailingly optimistic uh I, you know like this this is all you know he uh, he joined the quest for the lonely mountain partly to seek his fortune and partly because he was told the beer was free okay so we have you know so we have like the fun loving guy you know there's also who is the guy who's like the rogue um the one who is uh oh like always um, doing like illegal things which one was that? Yeah, crap. Who was that? Uh, is it Bifer? To, no, Bifer's the one with up. the orc axe in his forehead, which I love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which has I've rendered him inarticulate the, and occasionally feisty. Um, I've got to uh, I got to dig I, up I, the notes for that. Dang it! Is Where it Nori? Ah, the uh, here they are. Here they are. Here they are. I found him. Um, maybe. No, it's not Let's Nori. See. Uh, oh no! It is. It is. It is. Yes. Nobody ever know quite knows what the quick witted and wily Nori is up to, except that it's guaranteed yeah, yes. to be dodgy and probably illegal. Probably yeah. illegal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But he's immensely. Yeah, loyal I don't know to what his to his make brother. of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Me neither. But I mean, you know, you got to. There are a lot of these characters. I mean. It's a real challenge to, if you're going to do what it's been obvious from the beginning that Peter Jackson was going to do, which is not make these dwarves a, a faceless crowd, um, but actually give each one of them a recognizable personality and distinguish them both visually and and character-wise, so that the audience of the films actually differentiates them and and can you know develop a kind of relationship with them with each of them. I mean. <laughs> you've got your work cut out for you when you've got 13 of these people plus bill yes. plus game yeah Off. and and be, for I the mean,
2: record for the record it wouldn't. It would not be a good, an effective film if they didn't go out of their way to differentiate these guys yeah. and make them individual characters and stuff. So,
1: yeah, no, I mean, I could see, you know, we we've been talking about that for a while. That this that that's just one of the fundamental ways. You know, when when you know people sometimes generalize about like, well, you just can't, you know, you can't do storytelling the same way in a book as in a film. To me, this is one of the clearest examples. You can have faceless characters in a book because if they, you know, if they don't come in, you can just say like. Them and the other 13 of them ran down the – but you're not actually seeing the other 13 of them. You can draw the reader's attention to one or two and have that mm-hmm. be satisfied, have one of them yep. speak for all of them in, in essence. Um, but you can't do that on screen when you're actually looking at 13 people standing around not talking and not doing anything. Um, yep. That's just not an option. So, yeah.
0: So um so I can suck I can suck up to Corey and say that I've been doing my homework for the current secrets of the hobbit I mean uh, the hobbit story and reading the Priftan fragment which is the early like the first few pages a few pages from the first chapter he actually had more dwarves speaking in that first chapter than he ended up having I noticed, yeah, like yeah. he had like four or five different dwarves interacting in the conversation, and, and then now there's not. I mean, in the, in the in the published chapters, like maybe one other dwarf besides Thorin, right, that talks. Yeah,
1: Glowin, basically, who does yeah, he's right. uh, you know more like a grocer than a burglar. Uh, right, right. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. No, there's there's th- that's a very noticeable trend. Um, is that as Tolkien revised the book. Moving towards publication, he streamlined it that way. You know, I mean, he, he, he deliberately diminished the speaking roles um, of of the other dwarves um, and consolidated them so that there were one or two that we would attach to, and that we would attach some something to. Dory, Glowin, Balin especially. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Ratliff makes the point of saying that he thought that uh, Tolkien was making the revision to make it easier for the story to be read aloud and for the audience to be able to keep track of the characters more easily
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah. You know, oh, like exactly. fewer characters talking kind of thing. But you're yep. right. For a movie, that doesn't work. For a movie,
1: you got to have all of them. Yeah, but again, almost every um, character, almost every aspect of, like, of you know, almost anything that gets a positive mention, anything that's actually present in the text, they have actually incorporated. You know, they've made up a whole bunch of other stuff around the sides of it. Um, but, you know, I, I think of, you know, here's Glowin's description. Of all the members of the company of dwarves who set out on the quest of the lonely mountain, Glowen is the most outspoken and opinionated and is not afraid to challenge authority. Well, outspoken and opinionated, of course. What Glowen is most famous for is that comment he makes in Chapter 1 about uh, uh, thinking that Bilbo looked more like a grocer than a burglar. The, uh, there's almost no other role that Lohan has in the entire book he's, he's, he, he becomes a non-entity for almost the whole rest of the time but since he was outspoken and opinionated in that moment uh, in chapter one that's one of the primary things that they've incorporated here into his description he has a tendency to be quick tempered yes yes but is also strong brave and loyal presumably yes and of course he's one of the only married dwarfs in the company um uh, right, because of course he is famously the father of Gimli, and boy, talk about a family resemblance! <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did a good job with that. Um, yeah, yeah, the visuals are really cool. I mean, some of them are pretty funny, uh, but um, anyway. So, and I um, assume
0: this being an app, they're going to be adding characters. There'll be updates all the time as the movie sort of proceeds and whatnot. Yeah, probably so. So. Um, I'm
2: loving the the character discussion, but I would love to 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 yeah. direct us toward toward the the, the much more the elephant in the room. Yes, yeah, <laughs> much more controversial part of the Hobbit app, uh, which is the the edited um, uh, promotional artwork scroll yes where um where they basically removed the uh the 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 last couple of scenes from it let me see if i can dig up the links i'm trying to remember what which scenes they removed they removed the one where there's some distant figures walking across a bridge where we didn't know what the heck that was yes, the one, that was the one that was right before the barrel they removed the yep. bear and they removed the bear and they removed the barrels yes Otherwise, the artwork is, 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 is unchanged. All of the, the, the scenes that weren't removed are there intact and completely the same as far as we can tell, including the tomatoes. And uh, so, so a lot of people are kind of raising the question, why did they do this? Why did they edit this? And, um, and a lot more people are jumping to the conclusion that they did this, obviously, because they're changing the where the ending of the first film is. And in, and in fact, most famously, um, the the, uh, the OneRing.net, as they are wont to do, uh, just came out and pronounced, well, they've spoiled the ending. Here's where the ending is. We know it for sure. It's 100%. It's settled. You know, Yeah. they called it a spoiler and even put it behind a don't click on this if you don't want to be spoiled about where the ending thing is. Yeah, here's their, their article title. Ending of first film, Hobbit film revealed, image after break. Um, and, uh, 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 and just... For the record, uh, I, I, I'm not convinced, actually. I, I think there's actually a lot of other explanations for why they might mess around with the uh, the artwork scroll. But anyway, so this has been on everyone's minds. Um, there's there's a lot of people that are saying, well, this is it. We know where the film's ending. It's ending at, at um, out of the uh, frying pan and into the fire, mm-hmm. you know, at the eagle's rescue of the company. Uh, and then there's what a lot of other people are saying is, how in God's name could they end the film there? That's a terrible, terrible idea, um, and and I I for one put myself in the later camp of I don't know how they could possibly end the film there and not and not destroy the second and third films in terms of having too much material left over, and and furthermore I I'm fairly skeptical that they actually would end it here. So um, I, what I would love to to discuss is two things. One, let's sort of talk about the merits of ending the film here. Let's assume for now that they are ending it here. Let's talk about the merits of that. Um, uh, Because I think just as an ending for the first film in and of itself, it's actually not a – it's kind of a cool ending. It'd be sort of a a neat ending to – you'd be ending with a battle and then a a, a dramatic eagle rescue, which is kind of interesting. Yep. But um more importantly, what I would like to know is one, that seems to shorten the first film, which which suggests that they're adding extra material to it somewhere. Where can they fill it out? I, I'm I don't know because I personally think most of the extra white councils material you have would probably go in the later films. And then two, what are they going to do with the second and third films? How are those not going to be incredibly packed? Um, so I would like to I'd like to talk talk that through and then dovetail off of that to do we actually think they're going to end the film here? Are we have we convinced ourselves that this is a reasonable thing to do, or do we think that they've lost their minds?
1: It is hard to see. Here's my other question: In the first film, what exactly are we going to get other than the you know what we've been kind of calling the Hobbit plot—that is, the, the the quest of the you know the the, the journey of the Hobbit and dwarves? Um, what else are they going to put in? What White Council stuff do we get? in the first film. What can we get in the first film? We can get lots of talk in Rivendell. Um, But other than that, Gandalf is with them, and it does not look like they're changing that. Um, Gandalf is obviously with them uh, with the trolls. Gandalf is obviously with them with the goblins. So, the fact that Gandalf is going to travel with them from Bag End, through Rivendell, across the Misty Mountains, uh, and and towards Mirkwood, just as in the book, that seems, in fact, to happen. Therefore, where, get, where do we get the White Council? One of the reasons that uh, you know, I thought the post would break made a lot of sense is it gives us an opportunity to, do, you know, because that's where then Gandalf goes. In the book, that's where Gandalf goes, is to join the White Council. So now we can get some, once they get to Bjorn, we can now do a split plot thing. And we can get some, meanwhile, Gandalf is off doing, you know, he goes, you know, maybe travels, he's, he's, he's heading south, maybe he travels, you know, from the edges of Mirkwood down to Lothlorien, and we see him in Galadriel. Um, I, I don't know, but um, but that at least gave us a chance to do a lot of the stuff. Where else are we going to get the White Council plot? What of the White Council plot could we get? Gandalf not involved? Are we? I mean, are we going to be seeing other things, um, other things going off around the side? When is Gandalf supposed to be finding the tomb of the freaking Nazgul? For crying out loud!
2: Yeah, I mean, that that I think is my big question because um, I mean, the, actually, the, all of the Gandalf um, White Council stuff is a little confusing to me because in the in the chronology of the books, um, well, first of all, there's no tomb of the Nazgul, right? <laughs> um, right. But beyond that. By the time, by the time Gandalf is in Hobbiton recruiting Bilbo, he has already, um, he's already visited Gold or well, he's already, is it twice? Does he go there twice? I
0: like, don't think twice at that point. But no. he'd been to Gold or years. No, before. he had the he had he, the key he, and, the, and the map for years before he saw. But the he Lord. has, Maybe.
2: but. But he knows at this point. At this point, he has already done his main reconnaissance of Dol Guldur and has revealed and has right. discovered that the necromancer is Sauron, right? Yes, right, Yeah, like he knows that for a fact. So, yes. um, uh, and the white and, and has revealed it to the White Council, and they've already begun their deliberations. So, presumably, in my opinion, um, so two things. One it's possible maybe that the, one of the ways they're going to fill out the first film is to give more more of this kind of backstory so more yeah. more events that happen before the time uh, before the quest yeah um, either the, the either front loaded well happen or, an
1: hour into the film yeah
2: yeah yeah um the other the other but the the other question I have though the 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 kind of the one thing I have against, the 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 sort of piece of evidence I have against that is I don't. I don't think that we're going to come into this film with with the White Council knowing that it's Sauron already. I, I, no, I think I agree that with you. they. Yeah. I think the filmmakers want this to be a mystery that unravels as the film goes. Now, whether yeah. that's whether that's unraveling um, in the same time frame as the quest, or whether it's unraveling in like. You know, what, what's revealed is that actually at the time of the quest, the White Council does know this, but they don't tell us, and that, it's, that we're seeing sort of flashback scenes telling the story of finding that out interlaced with the main storyline. So there's kind of weird jumping back and forth through time, but I really don't think that we're going to start this film off with, you know, well, he's Sauron. Because right. I, I just right. don't think no. I think they want this to be in reading all those character descriptions and stuff about like um the this the, the mystery of Azog rising and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I think they want this to be a mystery that we don't really know the answer to until late in the second film or even the third film. So so I I I, I I'm really kind of I don't know what they're gonna do in terms of um the White Council storyline, but it seems difficult if it's not going to be told predominantly through flashbacks, and it could be, but, it, but if it's not going to be told through flashbacks, it seems difficult to add any of that to the first film because, like you said, Corey, Gandalf is with the company the whole time. He can't be running off, flying to, to Mirkwood, then flying back, then flying to Mirkwood, then flying back, then flying to Rivendell. Like it, the only non-flashback White Council scene we can have will be the meeting in Rivendell, which I'm guessing is going to take, wa- take place while they're visiting Rivendell.
1: Right, right, exactly.
0: See, see now I have a, I, t- I t- asked Dave about this the other day. I don't think that's the case because look, we've got two big scenes with Elrond looking grave and very you know, if he had a beard he'd be stroking it. One is when they're meeting about the Morgul Blade, that's the White Council meeting. And the second is when he's talking to Thorne about the map. Now it just doesn't seem to me in a film in the way films get put together that those two scenes, which are so similar in kind of interaction and nature, would be put so close together. In other words, what Dave, you're saying is those would have to be close together if Gandalf's having the White Council meeting at Rivendell at the same time the company's there. And I just don't, I can't imagine them doing that. Corey, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would mainly say, I think, I do incline to Dave's suggestion that we could get a lot of preamble stuff. Um, In fact, it does seem to fit with the overall spirit of things, that we're not going to start the film with the unexpected party. um, Because that's kind of the point of the recontextualization. Bilbo's story starts at the Unexpected par- Party. Right. So, you know, the published Hobbit, which is ultimately derived from his private journal, surprise, surprise, starts at the Unexpected Party. But even the stuff... I mean, you go about, you look at the Quest of Erebor, you know, the Quest of Erebor does not start with the Unexpected Party. Right. Um, it starts with the larger context and everything else and all the stuff leading up to the Unexpected Party, how they got to the Unexpected Party. And I expect mm-hmm. that stuff to be there in some sense or other in the films. And so I do think... Basically, the scene with Radagast that was shown at CinemaCon that we were talking about before, the tombs of the Nazgul sequence, I would expect mo- most likely to happen before the Unexpected Party. Right. I this agree. is so that we get Gandalf doing this kind of reconnaissance mission, and hopefully, I I hope anyway, his trip to Dol Guldur um, in at the beginning of the first film prior to the Unexpected Party, so that yeah, Bilbo. Um, now, of course, they have to be careful if we don 't even meet Bilbo until an hour and a half into the film it 's you know he 's going to seem like a minor character but, um, but I mean, there are various ways that could be managed but uh, but yeah, I do think that there 's going to be quite a bit of material there at the beginning that gives us a little bit more opportunity to set up the white council stuff but, but the pro- I, I, I do have a problem I do think Cutting the film prior to Gandalf's departure from the company makes it uncomfortable because there's not much room, for two reasons, because there's not much room, therefore, for the actual movement of the White Council plot in the first film, and there's not much... Uh, the, and there's not, and, and it leaves too much room, as uh, Dave was suggesting in the second film. If you've got to do yes. the entire Mirkwood sequence, spiders and all, plus the barrel scene, before you even get to Lake Town, and, and, and so you're going to do that, and Smaug? I mean, the film is officially now called The Desolation of Smaug, right. so... Right. So we're gonna get to the mountain, so we're gonna do Mirkwood and the Spiders and the Elven Kings Hall and the Barrels and Laketown and Stephen Fry, and then we're gonna get up to uh to Smog and what and kill Smaug. Uh, I mean that's hard. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Plus, Um, of course, plus all the White Council plot, because that's got to be the thick of the White Council plot right there. When Gandalf, you know, Gandalf is going to be away. We know Gandalf has to come back for the Battle of Five Armies. I mean, there's like a 0% chance Gandalf isn't at the Battle of Five Armies. So we have that frame, like in the book. We have that frame. We know Gandalf is there. Um, at, out of the frying pan into the fire, and we know that Gandalf is back um, by the Battle of Five Armies, so that window in between that 's your white council window, my friends you know and that, and that still seems to be true in the film as it was in the book, and the Battle of Goldor then would be probably in movie two yes yes exactly um, so, that's, so I mean I would think therefore that that would happen in the second film um, and you know maybe they kind of go back and forth and they you know, I could imagine them, for instance, sort of timing the Battle of Dol Guldur with the battle against Smaug. I could see right. those things happening. Like at Like a Marl two towers thing, point. kind of going yeah. back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I could see, um, but I am not sure uh, that. I mean, but but if you've got to do all the spiders and everything, man, that's hard. To me, here's here's one of the the biggest things that I think, um, and I think that Peter Jackson is very conscious of not just Tolkien fans. And I, I think his primary concern, I think, is not um, Tolkien fans who are going to object to things like Radagast dying and not being around for the next... I mean, it's not that he's unconcerned with that, but I don't think it's his primary concern. I think his primary concern are people who are basically movie his movie fans. Right. Um, and... I think that the, the, the what he has done that is the stuff that he has strategically released the trailer uh the video production uh, uh blogs the um the, 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 the materials the photos the ser- you know the photo series that have been that have been revealed um he has established something like a contract you know i mean he has he's made promises uh through these through this production footage. And that, those promises have, include the, have included the barrels. Yep. And they've included the barrels from the very beginning. So again, it's not to say that he can't change that. But what I do not think, just and this is just based on what, the conclusions I've drawn, based on what I've seen of Peter Jackson himself and the stuff that he releases. I would not, I, I would not expect him to let that take people by surprise Um, because he has very actively led everybody to suspect the barrels in this first film and if the barrels aren't going to happen he's going to go out of his way I think to prepare us for that so that we're not just outraged and feel betrayed because we that would be a little bit of a betrayal of the expectations which he has deliberately stoked to this point Um, Mm -hmm. now one could say, of course, that this revised scroll in the Hobbit app is step one in that process of, of sort of signaling that, um, yes, this is, uh, uh, this is what's going to be happening. Yes, you know, you're going to have to wait an extra year for the barrels. Um, you, one could interpret this scroll that way. And basically, I'm not ready to conclude that this scroll is conclusive, um, but I am – it does point – Generally, in that direction, it certainly is consistent with that idea. And if we get other things which would seem to corroborate that, um, you know, if his uh, if his you know uh, production videos also seem to support that idea, um, then. I think, uh, you know, th- then I'll, then I'll, I'll begin to think it more... But I do agree with Dave. I do not consider this scroll open and shut. Uh, it is certainly suggested, and it is certainly intriguing, but I don't consider it open and shut.
0: Well, it's like I said before. I mean, the whole one of the reasons this is an app is because it's going to grow and change. And so as you're talking, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him to, to even add scenes to the scroll prior to the first movie coming out. You know, that's the whole thing with this. It's going to get updated. Characters are going to get added. Scenes are going to get added. So, you know... That's that's a really good point. I think your whole point about the contract he's made is compelling too. You know, you're right. I mean, I can't see him changing that. But um, uh, Yeah, I, uh, I'm kind of more of the opinion that if this is anything
2: more than just the marketing people fiddling around um, or maybe some kind of technical limitation, albeit a bizarre one, you know, like, oh, we couldn't fit <laughs> that huge image in there or something. If, if it's anything more than that, I think what I, my sort of, Preferred interpretation is just that they're making tweaks to that sequence um, from the rescue by the Eagles to wherever the film will end, including even maybe jittering the ending a little bit. Like maybe they'll end with the capture by the Elves as opposed to the barrels. Um, and I think what they're trying to do is a, is uh, create some uncertainty so that, so yeah. that the ending yeah. can actually be a surprise, yeah. or or yeah. or like you said, Corey, maybe trying to prepare us for a change in the ending that we all think it will be. I don't think this firmly establishes that the ending will be at the Eagles. Just because I, I just think that would—it's just a ridiculous place to end the film. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, it's entirely possible I'll be eating my words um, in three months. Uh, but it, it just seems really unlikely. Like it, I, I think it causes a lot of problems for the second, and third film. Like, yeah, I agree. you know what? What would be the point? What would be the point of shifting the ending here? only to put themselves in a position... like The whole point of having three films was to was to give themselves space and time to tell the story they wanted to and to not have to cut all this stuff they wanted to do. I find it really hard to believe that most of the stuff that they wanted to keep that they were cutting was in the first film. It right. just seems yeah. very <laughs> unlikely to me. Given, <laughs> yeah. given that if they were to end at the Eagles, that means in the, over the space of the next two films they have to cover, as you were saying, Corey, um, the trip to Bjorn... The journey through Mirkwood, the capture by the elves, um, the barrel ride, the arrival in Lake Town, the events of Lake Town, climbing up the mountain, uh, sneaking in, finding Smog, stealing the cup, um, the the uh, the riddling with Smog, Smog escaping, Smog destro- destroying Lake Town, Smog being killed by um, uh, Bard, um, then and the, the whole White Council the, plot. Yeah yeah exactly and the, the drama yes. the, the drama with the 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 dwarves the elves and the men of um, the men of laketown and dale then the battle of five armies the return home and the whole white council plot line um i, I feel like moving the ending up this far forward Completely defeats the purpose of having yes. three films that they have space to tell all those
1: events. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> and, and as Corey said, you know, the second movie being called the Desolation of Smog. Smaug. I have to remember to say that. <laughs> um, Desolation of Smaug. Um, all that other stuff that Dave you just listed. You don't even get to the dragon until you know potentially midway through the second movie. Why are you calling At least it that midway?
1: Name? I mean, imagine yeah. that in an hour and a half, even if it's a three-hour oh. movie. Imagine doing. Bjorn, the m- Bjorn, Merkwood, the spiders, the capture of the elves, the time with the elves, the barrel ride, Lake Town, Stephen Fry, and, and, and doing all that exactly. in an hour and a half, even, and then that's and right. the White Council, and you know what Gandalf is doing down there in the south. Right, right. I mean, yeah, that's that is really hard to imagine. Um, Unless... Really hard to imagine. Uh, no, that's too hard to imagine. I was gonna say unless they're
2: somehow shifting the White Council storyline to the first film, but no, that of course makes no sense whatsoever.
1: Because of, because, well, Gandalf's, no, because Gandalf's, Gandalf's
0: with them though. Like, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's just
1: that's the big problem, is that it it doesn't the movie you can't move the White Council stuff too far because it doesn't fit into to, to you know Gandalf's Gandalf's books. Right. Unless unless they really do
2: have a plethora of, of White Council backstory-type stuff to tell in terms of flashbacks. Um.
1: But even that, you can't move the story forward with all flashbacks or with all... I mean, yes, you can set things up. They could, for instance, front-load the entire mystery thing that you were talking about, Dave. They could do... you know who is this necromancer fellow, and uh, what's going on with that, and the gradual discovery of that, and Gandalf's uncovering of the fact that it's Sauron, and the tombs of the Nazgul, and whatever—all of that stuff could conceivably come before the unexpected party. But still you're still then only at the beginning. Now what happens? Right. You know, now we've got, we've got uh, you know, Sauron's plans and what he's up to and how are we going to thwart him and let's move against him and let's get together and decide as the White Council what to do and then we're going to somehow move against him and attack him in Dol Guldur. Um, all of that stuff still has to happen after the Unexpected Party. It can't happen anywhere else. Um, not to mention the, the implications of things that we have of Sauron's own, the stuff that he is putting in motion. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we still have to have the Zomborks somewhere, so they're, they've, they've got to right. come
0: afterwards. And right? that story's got to be developed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: So you, you can't
0: lose the Zombork plot.
1: Um, hey, I, ha-
0: I have a little ditty that's sort of slightly connected that I wanted to let you guys know, because you're talking about the beginning of the film. Um, CBS Sunday Morning this last Sunday had a uh, feature on Elijah Wood, and at the very end of the feature, they had some footage of him working with Peter Jackson in Frodo's character, and there were two things about that that I wanted to tell you guys. One is there's a scene of him being directed by Jackson, and he's got a red book in his hand, and he's standing outside Bag End. The second one is a scene that they're filming where he's walking out the front door of Bag End and checking the mail. Okay. So my thought is, we may not even see Bilbo and Frodo together. The 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 frame may actually take place via letter.
1: Oh, that would be interesting. I think yeah. though, even that, like, the fact that, to me, the most interesting thing about like Frodo wandering out to check the mail suggests that uh, more time is being spent in the frame. Um, ah. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, like, if, if if we're gonna get anything other than Bilbo and Frodo already sitting in conversation or something like that, and then cutting to a, you know, the, and then hearing them talk, and then cutting to the, okay, like, if if we're gonna get like, you know, thirty second pastiche of Frodo's regular daily life in Bag End. You know, that, that 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 suggests to me that some time is being spent there and that that's being kind of developed. Um, oh, yeah. It, it, sorry, I like Ed's comment here. Ed says, uh, you guys can't even just talk about Radagast in two and a half hours. How do you expect <laughs> Peter Jackson to get to Lake Town in less than three? <laughs> yes. True enough. True enough. Um, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I want to
0: just add that in because we are talking about the beginning of the movie, and uh, you know that that's and he was and he's munching on an apple as he walks out the front door. That's... <laughs> hmm.
1: interesting. Interesting. I had not seen that, but yeah, that that kind of like you know, casual shot of Frodo in the frame yeah. is to me that that that's 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 intriguing. Well, anyway, um, yeah. So I would definitely. I, I mean, I, I definitely am skeptical that that is the definite ending. You know, maybe it is, and maybe they'll find some way to make that work. But as I say, and, I, you know, basically, I and everybody else will be watching very carefully for further releases and further press stuff. Um, you know, anything else that, that Jackson in particular is releasing, in particular his, his, his video stuff. Because, again, I think he is very conscious of the kind of expectations that he has built up in viewers. And he is he has been managing... Expectations and managing um, sort of reactions as carefully as he can, I think. And he's not going to be, if he's clueless about anything, it is not going to be this kind of cluelessness of saying, like, oh, gosh, you know. So, December fourteenth finally rolled around, and uh, I only gave you half the material I s- sort of suggested I was going to give you. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> like, what? Everyone's disappointed? Everyone's outraged? Everyone's mad? Why? I mean, he's not going to be that kind of – he's going to know that that would be a big deal. Um, so, I would expect lots more corroborating evidence between now and then in trailers and things. Lots more corroborating evidence to, to – um, some some very visible backpedaling from the previous material he has released, because I think he'd almost have to do that. We'll see. We'll see. Um, so are
0: you thinking that we should stick, in terms of our own you know executive decision with regard to
1: Riddles in the Dark, the show, that we stick with our original ending? And uh, go on the first and first carry on time. to talk about Bjorn and spiders and everything else? And um, elves,
0: yeah.
1: What do you think? Yeah, it's it's like a meta prediction, right? You know, like uh, we're gonna make a prediction <laughs> about our, the relevance of our predictions. Um, it's kind well, of well. Now, as I noted, there are
0: other things. There are other things we can talk about. I mean, we we yeah. haven't talked about Sauron really yet. Um, we haven't really talked about Bilbo specifically with the ring. You know, the ring and Bilbo specifically. I don't know. Yeah, things. that
1: definitely has to happen.
0: Uh, um, songs and poems you know we could go on forever about those probably Yeah. so yeah. you know there's other things it's just you know we, and we, I guess we don't have to make an absolute decision right now but we'll,
1: yeah no we don't we don't necessarily right now um, but uh, but no, I mean I would actually be kind of inclined to go on and talk about Bjorn and the spiders mostly okay. because I mean like the worst case scenario is that we talk about them and it turns out we have to wait longer until we find out whether those predictions are true Um <laughs> Uh, whereas if we don't talk about it and it is in the first film, then we've lost the opportunity to make predictions. So there you go. That's true. Um, uh, so I guess I would. We should probably go there.
0: Onward. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. But, but but other things too. So what we'll do is we'll. I I think
2: I'm comfortable saying publicly saying I. I disagree with those, particularly the ring dot net, who are yes. saying that this definitively proves that the ending not only has been moved, but has been moved specifically to here. I yes. disagree with that. I don't think. I think this opens up the possibility that they'll move the ending, and it was something we were already considering. But I still find it highly unlikely that it, that that it will be moved substantially from the arrival in Lake Town, and and certainly I think it's very unlikely it would be moved to pre mirkwood and I and I'm comfortable enough with that with my belief in that that I'm willing to go on to discuss Merkwood and Bjorn and those those yep. event post Eagle rescue events. However, I am also uh I, I think as strategy goes, maybe the next uh the next month of uh, riddles in the dark we should pick safe topics
1: just in case peter jackson releases more information <laughs> right yep no, i agree <laughs> ring first we should definitely yeah yeah no okay. i that's 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 just what i was thinking let's let's uh, be confident but hedge our bets this absolutely exactly right okay um Okay, good. Well, I think we've definitely carried on long enough. Oh, by the
2: way, I I did want to add one thing. Um, Oh, yeah. Let's see. Where is it? Dang it. Uh, Ed. Ed has solved it. What are they going to put in the – what could they possibly fill the first film up with that take up all the time if they were to remove Mirkwood? What could they possibly put in there that we all want to see – that, that chrono- chronologically would fit in the first film, maybe as a nice like s- extended flashback sequence, You know, a good <laughs> half hour to 45 minutes of action and dwarf on orc violence. You're leading that Corey. You're, that's right.
0: I was going to say Absolutely. you're leading Corey to answer that.
1: that. All, as of little bazaar. Absolutely. Yep. No, I agree. If they do that, I will forgive them. Yeah. I will. I will. I will. <laughs> We'll give two big thumbs up to ending the film and Out of the Frying Pan if, in exchange, we get, you know, a Battle of Helms Deep-esque treatment of the Battle of Azanul Bazaar. um, That will be perfectly acceptable. With or without burned dwarves, right? Well, of course. I mean, if I get the Battle of... of, You don't want to get too picky. That that would just be a tease to get the Battle (laughs) of, of... as an old bazaar and no reference to burned dwarves. But uh, but anyway, you know, still, no, absolutely, absolutely. That, that makes perfect sense. Undoubtedly, that's what they were thinking, right? Undoubtedly. By the Undoubtedly.
0: way, I, I want to add, <laughs> add that I have a great excuse today for my animal sound effects in the background, which is because today, oh, yeah. of course, was about Radagast. So, you know, yeah, that's my yeah. excuse. So that's the- my story for today.
2: You <laughs> can do it again there. with Bjorn. Your-
0: Oh, that's right! I'll have a great excuse for Bjorn. Yes.
1: <laughs> Except they have to be frightfully well behaved when they're when they're when they oh, when right. we're talking about Bjorn. Oh gosh! Yes. You, have to, you have to train your dog to bring you. You have to carry things in on trays. That's right. Yeah. They'll
0: have to be bringing me my coffee and things. Oh god! That, okay. Exactly. Well, I'll work on that.
1: Sutter, yes. you better. You better.
0: you you can train them. <laughs>
1: You got plenty of time. That's Several right. weeks. Several uh, weeks. No problems. <laughs> okay. Well, very good. I think we. I think we should. Uh, I think we should end our uh, our official uh, broadcast here. Thanks everybody for joining us uh, as always, and uh, we look forward to. You know, we are we are beginning to get. I have to admit, I did a little bit of a double take when Dave said three months uh, just a few minutes ago. I know oh, it is only three months from now, isn't it? I know. Um, woo-hoo. So uh,
2: yeah, yeah. By the way, we uh, gotta. We really got to get on the whole. Um, organizing, if if if,
1: it is, or Aha. actually even before organizing, ah.
2: determining feasibility of.
1: Uh-oh. It is actually. I am ahead of you on that, my friend. I have already been doing that. Corey fact, is rubbing already- his hands together as we speak. I have found and made reservations at a movie theater in Baltimore, which Yay. has, by the way, just informed me that they are definitely doing the 48 frames oh, per second showing of The Hobbit. That's awesome. They just confirmed that, uh, and I am so I am, I am going to be reserving a cinema. We are going to do an official uh, MythGuard sponsored viewing of The Hobbit on Saturday the 15th. Uh, we we have chosen s- not quite arbitrarily, but semi arbitrarily, uh, a movie theater near Baltimore, Maryland. Um, so it'll be for p- if people are gonna, there may be one or two people might actually be wanting to fly in, so it'll be fairly convenient to BWI. Me, 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 me. It's in Baltimore, so it's gonna be. Um, it's going to be fairly centrally located here on the East Coast. For people from you know DC, Philly, New York, should be able to get there. Um, so yes, yes, I have. At a, ge- a geek and- weekend, right? And we're going to do a geek and a weekend. Geek weekend, yes. yes. I mean, as long as we're doing this, we might as well do it. So Again? I'm looking into. Yeah, yeah. I- I'm 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 looking into conference space. You know, we're going to have to have some uh, some serious discussions and things after this. So, uh, so yeah. So, First you know, we'll breakfast, second bre- breakfast, 11s is absolutely. the whole now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're looking to invite some special guests. It's going to be that's where we're still, still, you know, I I wasn't going to announce it because I'm still only in the very early (laughs) stages of planning this thing. But uh, since you bring it up, I might as well mention it. You could always
0: blow up. You just can't be mysterious, Corey, can you? (laughs) (laughs) No.
1: Oh man, I am so bad at keeping secrets. Holy cow! Uh, Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm. uh, uh, That's very hard.
2: <laughs> don't, don't don't say that aloud. You'll never be invited to to get inside information about the the
1: pr- film production. Yeah, that's you... true. Well, see, the thing is, if I if I ever had inside information of the film, then basically I would like. Not put myself in this kind of position. Yeah, you do. That's what I would do. I would pre-record stuff and make sure. I but yeah, it's it's. uh, I mean, about stuff that I'm planning. You know, like when I have when I'm working on something that like I just like I'm always really excited to tell people about. Like I can't not tell people about it. Um, I I have a I have a I have a long history of this. Of like, you know. uh, Announcing plans that are still only half formed because I'm so excited about them while in the process of forming them that I uh, that I that I blurted out. That's what I mean. Anyway, so yeah, so that's that's uh, we, so we are we are definitely planning that that is uh, that is that is definitely underway. We can't not have a, a good showing, and we're all going to get together. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're we're gonna rent out this whole movie theater. We'll see how many people you know we get who are interested in doing it. It's going to have to cost something, of course, because we need to pay for the theater. Um, we're going to need to get food and conference space and stuff. I, I really want to. Make this into like a, a little weekend a, a little weekend mini conference. Um, it's how, so totally how, worth how, it to how me how it, how itself, because so. I won't have to I won't have
0: to be yeah. carried out struggling by security when I when I rise up and go. That's an outrage because we'll all probably be doing that at the same time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's right. Yeah, we can we can and it, it, and, and as I said, it, 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 it is going to be on Saturday. You know, so if people want to see it first on Friday and kind of get it out of their system, and then we can we can all see it together there go. on That's Saturday. Go. You know that's fine but um, anyway yeah so it's uh, it's gonna be very exciting so yes uh, the the, uh, the the specific movie theater I'm looking into is the uh, the, the Cinemark Egyptian theater in Hanover Maryland, Maryland. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's a uh, it's a really nice facility I've been there before so anyway yeah that's the plan that's so we're 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 working on that we will announce it um, we will announce it more formally when we have everything actually worked out but Okay, so very good. Well, then I think we should probably sign off now. So again, thanks everybody for joining us as always. So uh, thanks for listening and Godspeed.